are you are you like poo-pooing the roughies and then in my house <laughs> Welcome to Morelia Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. All right, welcome to another episode of Morelia Python Radio. Uh, tonight we are uh, joined again by uh, our friend uh, across the pond there, uh, from uh, Lawrence Ketchington. I hope I said that right. Uh, and we're going to talk scrub <laughs> pythons. So if uh, you're into scrub pythons, uh, Lawrence is, uh, I would say, I, I don't, I, I can't remember how long he's been keeping, but I would say he's kind of some a few years with scrubs but uh he's having mm-hmm. amazing success and uh right. he's one of those guys that uh just seem to have dialed it in so to speak uh for the most part but uh we'll be talking about all different types of uh scrubs that he's working with uh of course we'll squeeze some Hal Mahara talk in there uh because he's got a, a nice group of those and uh, mm-hmm. yeah um, How could we not? Because Helma <laughs> Harris, I mean, we got to talk about it somehow. Of course. I mean, yeah. of course. But uh, I don't know. Owen, did you want to hit on your... your... Oh, glitch? Yeah. I okay. don't know if you want to hit um, on that real quick. Well, yeah, I, I think I mentioned it last show, or I might not have just told Riley. Mm-hmm. But um, my MacLots Python glitch, which is the one I got from you, uh, has had this thing going on with his eye where it's just kind of been swelling and very uncomfortable and he can't see out of it. And then it would go clear and then we'd kind of do it again. And I went to the vet several times with it. We've been put on several different medications. Um, and, uh, this time I think the past couple months it's gotten large and inflamed and it hasn't really gone away. So I shipped him down to Florida, um, <laughs> to my girlfriend, Melissa, who works at a vet office, and they took him behind, and uh, they actually ended up removing his eyeball today and uh, doing a bunch of other work on him to make sure it was all clean and flushed out. Apparently, he's doing very well, um, even though he looks horrible with his stitched eye closed. <laughs> yeah, that picture, that. That picture you sent so me, I was like, oh. Like, oh. so bad. Um, but apparently, he's doing great. He's whipping around the tub. Uh, several people have already offered to buy him. Because they saw him at the at at the vet office in this bin, and they're like, "Oh, how much?" And I'm like, "Don't you dare let anybody <laughs> like they they don't they don't have enough money to get glitch away from me." Like, do you know that? Yeah. So he's gonna spend a couple days down there, uh, getting some antibiotics and being observed, and okay. then he's gonna be shipped back home probably after Christmas. So okay, and there'll be one eye less, which. You know, he's kind of been getting on without it anyway. Like, he still eats and stuff like that. And it's one of those, you open up the cage, and he looks at you, and then he turns his head so that his good eye is the one looking at you. So, I mean, clearly he's adapted to only using one eye anyway. So, um, (laughs) but I'm like, well, I'm like, we'll see how it goes. And apparently it was done really quickly. And I'm like, wow, it does not take much to pull an eyeball out of a snake. So Fair enough. I know. Yeah. Well, maybe this will be the trick to get them to breed. You know You're right. I, mean? I should rip the eyes out of my animal. No, no. <laughs> do do not do that. I have figured it out. Come here, rough scales. Like, what? No, of course not. No, definitely Jesus not. Christ. <laughs> um, 
Oh, one other thing, uh, as right before we get Lawrence on, um, he, uh, I believe he works with uh, Fog Dam Locality Water Pythons, if I'm not hey, mistaken. we saw those at <laughs> Fog Dam. Yes. Uh, yeah. So right, without uh, further ado, let's get uh, Lawrence on here and get going. Hey, Lawrence, welcome back to Morelia Python Radio. How you doing, man? Uh, not too bad, guys. Thanks for having me back on. Been a yeah. while, but we finally, finally arranged it. Yeah, yeah Eric does all the arranging. It's just not my fault. So, you know, it's entirely him. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so what you've been up to, man, is that is that accurate? Let's start with the very beginning. Let's get this out of the way. You have you do work with file dam locality water pythons, right? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Uh, we managed to breed them. What was it last year? Uh, well, yeah, like not uh, not the last season, but the season before that. Um, so we managed to breed them, yeah, got a clutch of uh, seven eggs, uh, three went down sort of about midway through incubation, they just sort of turned moldy and they were all in a, in a pile and not like I'm still getting used to be able to actually uh, separate the eggs, like I don't want to push it too far, like when they've been laid and they're sort of, they're, they're all stuck together. Mm -hmm. um, Still a bit wary about sort of like trying to split them. So we incubated them and three went downhill, went moldy. We tried like everything, like the uh, the foot powder, the sort of antifungal foot powder. But mm. the uh, the eggs that they were touching, uh, like they were in contact with the other four eggs that uh, they didn't go down at all. And uh, yeah, so we had three healthy hatchlings uh, come out and then one egg was at the right at the bottom of the pile and it must have just been something with the way it had been heating but uh that egg just contained sort of like partly formed uh neonate just like hadn't fully formed in the egg so so that was that that sucked a bit but yeah we got yeah. a we got a male and then two but uh yeah a male and two females so we held one of them back and then uh we sold the other two uh one to the girl Jody who we actually bought the uh, two adults from she wanted one of the offspring back so we, we like she had first option and then uh, Nipper uh, Nipper because I know that he has females that he was looking to breed so we sold him a juvenile or the neonate male that we had from that clutch oh nice okay did you happen to see the size of the one that we found at uh, botanical, oh, botanical gardens, gardens yeah <laughs> That was that was insane. I mean, like the female we had was she was what, about seven foot and still reasonably slender, but yeah, nothing like the size of that one. Seems, I've seen some big water pythons in captivity, but nothing that that was a berm. That, <laughs> that, that was a that was a that was a solid colored Burmese python that somehow slipped into Australia. <laughs> That was insane. Sure did feel like it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. So, okay. Cool. All right. That's... Like, uh, Eric I was in danger, guys. Like, we don't talk <laughs> about it, but, like, Eric could have died with that bike on. Like, it... Thank God it was in a good mood. Yeah. That had to be 10 feet because it was the, it was double the size of me. I yeah, had it, like, yeah. up in the air, bent in half. Yeah, you know? and you're about, you're about four and a half feet tall. Three. <laughs> what? Three no. on a good day. Three, three on a good day. Right. Yeah, Sorry. 
if I'm if I'm if I'm uh, what do they call that rising? What is that? Yeah, if you stand uh, <laughs> on a soapbox, you're about three and a half feet tall. You know, it's yeah. You know, what are yeah. you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Um, <laughs> all right. Anyway, let's get into scrubs. I don't know where you want to start. I mean, how what I. I don't know, man. There's so much to talk about when it comes to scrub pythons. Uh, what what do you got going on? What have you? What, maybe what have you? What, let's put it this way: What have you added since we last spoke? Um, what have I added since we last spoke? Well, of course, um, getting into the Halmaheras into the Tracia, that's been sort of the biggest thing that I've gotten into, and getting into them was. Uh, it was a long journey for me, so like I've been keeping scrubs for what uh, four-ish years now, keeping a total of about five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like I was sort of I don't know, probably about a month, a year into keeping scrubs, I was offered a pair of uh, Tracia that was sort of nine months in captivity, and then I sort of said, right, yeah, like gonna go for these. And then a couple of days before I was due to collect them. Got a message from the guy saying that the female had just died, just rolled over a few days before I was going to go over to the UK to collect them. And yeah, I didn't worry about taking the single male, but after that, I was I was kind of put off by them. I was sort of like, with everything else that was going on, like building up the Amethystina, it just seemed that I'd almost be pushing too far to go for the Tracy. I mean, I jumped from like a royal python and that is my first snake and like got a retic got a gtp um got madagascan ground boas and then got my first uh juvenile scrubs like first me and eight scrubs and then sort of still a year after that i'd added some uh, adults and some sub adults and the timors to the collection and it was sort of just making sure that i wasn't going to push myself too hard and mm-hmm. just after that with the tracy i just decided I'm going to leave them, like, cut my teeth on the other scrub species uh, and just leave them. And, yeah, just suddenly I was offered um, a group of four that had come in. And I just sort of decided, yeah, this was, it's the time to jump on them is now. Mm -hmm. And then uh, added a single male then that uh, just came in on its own and then, a group of six, uh, fairly small. There's one female that's about five foot in there, and then the rest of them are sort of three, three to four, maybe four and a half foot for the biggest of the other ones. So yeah, decided that I've had a good bit of luck and a good bit of success with the other ones, and I knew that I'd kick myself if I didn't jump on the this group of Tracy A and just build a big group mm-hmm. and sort of try and secure that project. Uh, I knew I'd kick myself then if, like, Indonesia closes down or Papua closes down and, like, you stopped getting anything through. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I decided that now was the time to do it and just being able to build that group very, very quickly. It's been tough. Um, they're definitely different than the other scrubs I've worked with, at least initially until they get settled. And, like, now I've got a fair few of them that are quite happy to just sit and strike at me if they're out on top of the hides and the vibs are out on the perches like i go in to spray them or to change the water bowls there's like there's a couple that will just sit there and just like rapid fire just try and bite my face whenever i go in there um so it's good to see them getting like that like i'm not complaining about that i like to see see the scrubs with a bit sure. of, a bit of yeah. and a bit of 
Piss and vinegar is always good, you know. <laughs> when you, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh, that's cool. So, so you have uh, what? Two point two? Is that your group? Or you said five? I, uh, I've got six five at the minute. Six. Um, so, six point yeah, so five. <laughs> yeah, six point five. So I bought Holy the group. Shit. I bought the group of two two uh, initially. That was back in June. Okay. Uh, then I think in August was when I got the a single male came in, and then September was when I got the other three three group that uh, that came in and that was available. So yeah, six five at the minute. So hopefully that's secured. That's secured. <laughs> That's a pretty decent group, yeah. That's I, a, yeah so. I mean, that's it. That's a nice size group. And are you adding more, or do you think you're good with the group, or is it like the you're not going to be done till you're at like twenty point nineteen or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, apart from the space now, which is really basically like I can't add anything more to the collection until it's always the space, yeah. <laughs> But I'm happy with the group as it stands now. Of course, like if uh, if a single female or two females come in that are really outstanding, then yeah, I might just push it just to get one or two extra females in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, not planning on not planning on going and buying another six or another ten if they come in. I just don't have the space, unfortunately. Okay. I'd love to, but yeah. <laughs> Not, not not the way that I like to keep them. I wouldn't I wouldn't be too happy with too happy with keeping six animals or another ten animals or so. Right. You got a couple that were really dark, right? I mean, they were like almost black. If I don't mis- if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. Well, it was just this. Uh, it was the one, the biggest female that came in in the first group of uh, two two. The biggest female came in and was insanely dark. Um, and having seen scrubs that are gravid and have been gravid, mm-hmm. um, she had this look about her, the same, uh, the degree of darkness. It wasn't just like import shed where they come in and they look dark anyway. Um, not to me anyway, it didn't look that way and just the sort of, the condition of the body, especially towards the vent, is she looked, it wasn't an underweight skinny, like she hadn't eaten for a while. It was this sort of stretched out look of just having laid a clutch. And I know that when I got her, she was only sort of in Europe for two, maybe three weeks. And I know from like just the past from reading the scrubs that uh, after you remove the clutch or you take the female from the clutch, um, they generally take about three to four weeks to then have uh, a shed. They just go into shed after you remove the clutch and straight back to the normal coloration. So in in my mind, I think that she was possibly gravid prior to being uh, exported. Uh, I did ask the importer and he said that like she didn't lay eggs with him, um, and he did ask the farm that he got them from if she had laid with them, and he didn't get a reply. But then we have seen a lot of very small tracier coming in, like hatching tracier coming in, and yeah, it just made me wonder if possibly she had like some uh, collector had collected a gravid female that laid at the facility 
and then they shipped her out and then three, four months later, babies come and then they were shipping those out as well. So to my mind, she it looked like she was gravid and she shed the, the night the week that I uh, got her, she shed and the difference in coloration was just insane. Like she went from being completely black all the way down to being a reasonably high contrast animal, like still dark, but the contrast was there. And I, I put it down to something more than just import stress and import shed. Mm -hmm. Okay. Gotcha. I mean, I, I would totally bank that on that. Uh, I imagine importers do that all the time where an animal lays eggs. They just, you know, put it in the, uh, incubators and sell the babies. But, also, I mean, potentially she could have had a like a couple slugs or something like that too. I mean, but that's awesome that you had one that is possibly already developed and possibly already bred before too. Yeah, I wonder. So I, I'm curious on what has been your experience with setting these guys up, um, and maybe I know you said that they're a little bit different than you know what you're used to with scrubs. So maybe you can hit on that the difference and you know what's your approach to getting them settled in because for people that don't know how Harris scrubs have at least in my experience and i think owen you have the same experience mm. that they're very 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 funky like finicky snakes and like you just have them and they're going good and then all of a sudden out of nowhere they're dead yeah i think it's stress but i don't know what are your thoughts lawrence um, well, look, before I before I got into them, I spoke to sort of as many people as I could who'd kept them um, just to any degree of success, like whether it be six months, 18 months, or like three, four years plus. Right. Uh, and it was, a, it was a funny mix of like, I know a couple of guys who like were keeping scrubs back in the 90s, um, and one of them is a friend of mine in the UK, Rob, who he actually got a... Palmahera female in like this is uh, like way before I started keeping uh, but it was before they actually had been classified as Halmahera and people actually knew what they were so oh, wow. the mm -hmm. basically just said like I don't know what this is do you want it and he said yeah um, and he treated it like any of the other scrubs that he'd had like kept it in a fairly big enclosure um, deck tower branches and stuff and I think he had her for six years, seven years I think if I'm not mistaken. He had her for a good long time. Right. Um, and of course I've spoken to people who are just like the only way they've gotten them to eat or settle uh, is by keeping them in tubs. So yep. I was definitely open to like the either or scenario. Um, with the initial group that I got in, I decided that like I was gonna go all out and just do um, four by two by three foot bibs for them, and just go all out with making them as cluttered and as covered as possible. I mean, like compared to the other enclosures that I did, these are way sort of like way heavier with the uh, fake plants just as cover, and also. Um, I started using elevated hides, uh, which one guy, one of the guys who kept them in the 90s, um, Don Taylor, he, he told me, like, use elevated hides. They just seem to seem to love them. He said, put the food on top. They'll eat it from the top of it overnight. 
Hmm. Um, hmm. It definitely helps keep the... It, it definitely makes them feel more secure. And I mean, I know that it's sort of generally accepted that uh, they sort of inhabit the areas around sort of like rocky caves, ledges and stuff. So I thought, give them somewhere up high, relatively cramped. So I set the initial four up in four by two by three foot. Mm -hmm. And they all ate the, within three days of me putting them in those enclosures, they ate, um, which I was blown away by. I was, I was like completely not ready for it. The, the adult male, he refused chicks at first and then would take, and then went on to quail. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he went quail and is now back on chicks again. Mm. Um, just to be awkward, but yeah, they've been feeding solidly. <laughs> solidly every sort of like three to four weeks uh they feed every time i just leave the food in there overnight they take it by the next morning it's gone some of them if you if i leave it in just before uh lights out they'll have like two of them will have come out and already start eating during the day uh they don't seem to mind whether the lights are on or the lights are off uh so after that i sort of thought right well because like my initial thinking for like doing this is like as natural as I could make them vivs was these are they're known to be very stressful they're being taken from the wild mm -hmm. so make I mean I'm never going to be able to replicate a full wild environment or whatever mm -hmm. in captivity but I wanted to make it as natural and as covered as possible um, and it's it worked for those four so I tried it for the single male that I got hit got in uh, he ate the first night when I just had him in a tub. I just had a chick left over, so I just threw it in and thought, ah, what's, what's the worst that can happen? He leaves it like it wouldn't be a big surprise. And he ate in the tub the first night, and then a week later, put him in a viv, and he just he refused food for two months. And then I thought, right, go backwards, like backtrack, set him up in a tub, and immediately the, the second day he was back in the tub, he ate. So I'm keeping that one in a tub. Like it's still got a perch and it's got a bit of fake greenery put over it and substrate and that. And I keep it somewhere where there's basically no foot traffic apart from when I go to check on them. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's working for him. Uh, then the group of six, I had five of them that came in were perfect and then one female had a uh, swollen front lip like the the uh, there was a slight infection in the I think it was in it was in the outer jaw uh, just on one side just from her pushing in the bag mm -hmm. uh, so she wasn't going to go into a viv because like I brought her down to the vet the day after I got her I started on antibiotics uh, and iodine swabs and She's the one that I've been most expecting not to make it because all throughout the treatment I was just thinking like this is an this is a lot of stress on her like every day an injection, getting the mouth like propped open and swabbed, um, and then like uh, giving her just like some fluids orally as well just to make sure she was hydrated, and so what is it now two months, two two and a half months later, mm -hmm. uh, the mouth's like fully healed up she's still in the tub and she took her, her first meal um three or four days ago uh just left a chick and a multi mammoth in overnight and she and she took both of them so that was probably the uh the biggest relief so far and then out of the other out of the other five of that group 
Um, they're all in four by two by threes. Uh, three of them have eaten so far and are eating solidly. And then two of them haven't eaten, one of which is the the uh, sort of like sub-adult female and then a small male. So I'm going to give them sort of like midway into January. And then if they haven't eaten by then, I'm just going to put those two in a tub and see if that works for them. So the thing is, is just like keeping an open mind and like, yeah, I've, I've grown, I've grown a lot in the sort of the, the five years I've been keeping of being like very outspoken about like tubs and, uh, and keeping in vivs and sort of like got caught up in the whole thing at the very beginning. And sort of like, as you keep longer, like get a bit more mature, you see like, well, nah, there's, there's two ways. There's more than one way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, Sure. But the thing is, it's just like pay attention, pay attention to the animals. Like, as uh, Keith, like I'm, I'm uh, friends with Keith Mapeak, and he's helped me an awful lot, and just like being a really good sort of like mentor and saying be a student of the serpent, and it, and I sort of really took that lesson to heart. And it's just paying attention to the individual animal, and then just not blanketing them all with one brush. Going right, all of them need to be in tubs or all of them should be in vivs and they'll eat eventually you've got to base it on each individual animal and i've been i've been really surprised just um how the tracier have been doing like nine out of eleven now have eaten at least once or at least twice so for me that's like that was it it was more than i expected um just going solely on their reputation so yeah it's been an interesting journey <laughs> yeah nope. that was definitely my experience i think i talked to you about it before i was like uh yeah i had the same experience i couldn't get the the female i had for the longest time to eat and as soon as i put her in a tub she just started eating and she became you know settled down and i don't know i i would think that eventually after t- over time maybe as they get more established uh, I, I don't know. I'm curious on what your thoughts are on this. Is like, would you eventually think about moving, you know, the ones that you have established in a tub to a viv to see how they do, or, or are you too nervous? Like, because I got nervous too about moving them back because of how sensitive they are. You know. Um. To be honest, I haven't really thought too much about what I'm going to do with the ones in the tubs at the minute. I mean, if they're eating in there, they're doing well in there. That's all you can really ask for. It's like, sure. I'm, not, I'm not like bloody minded enough just to go, well, they're in a tub, they're doing well. I want them in a viv just so I can say, oh, I've got all these tracier in these vivs. Correct. It's what, what is best for the animals? And if they're, if they're doing well in the tubs until it gets to the point, um, I mean, both of them are in, 64 liter tubs i think mm-hmm. um i'm not sure what that converts into into uh into u.s measurements um but yeah mm-hmm. they're in sort of 64 liter tubs i think it is and until it gets to the point where they're outgrowing that or i'm really not comfortable with them being in that smaller space then i'll probably think of either going up to one of the sort of 120 liter tubs or just put them in a viv see how they do keep a very close eye on them um the the lone male he's one of the i think there's only two of them that actually drink only when they're sprayed and i learned that the hard way because he went into shed and i was spraying sort of 
every week, every sort of like twice a week or something. And he had a really bad shed, so I sprayed the enclosure again, and he started just like gulping down the water. And I was like, oh, yeah, right, I, I, I need to keep an eye on this. Like, that is, the others hadn't done that. The others all drank from the water bowl. Um, so that was a sort of wake-up call of, like, don't get too complacent with them. Um, and just definitely, yeah, just pay attention to them. So that, yeah. was a, that was a close call because he did look he did look dehydrated after the shed, and I was thinking, ah, I, I've slipped up. This isn't this isn't going to end well. But he's luckily he's uh, he's doing well. Nice, good. Yeah, sixty four liter tub. I just looked it up real quick just so people have a reference. We're looking at twenty seven by seventeen by twelve mm-hmm. inches. So that's a fairly decent sized tub. I mean, yeah. You're not talking like uh, you know, like a 15 quart tub or anything like that. I mean, that's a it's a good size. Um, so, what as far as like uh, temperatures and stuff? Do you, are you what's your approach? You know, in the tub as opposed to um, you know uh, in the cages. Uh, I suppose for in the tubs, I I just have them heated by a heat mat but i've got a uh, i've got a thermostat of like every, it's uh, thermostatically controlled and i have the probe sort of on the hot end so that when the ambient gets to sort of 25 it was a bit of sort of like um just trial and error of temp gunning the floor of the tub and seeing what the temperature on the probe is reading to make sure the floor of the tub didn't get too hot over the heat mat and propping it up uh, a little bit so it wasn't resting directly on it um, so yeah, it's just sort of like kept to about an ambient on the thermostat. It's about 25 and that still allows them down to sort of 22 on the cooler end, uh, where it's unheated. Uh, and generally I just sort of find that they stay to the perch. They don't often sit right down on the floor unless it's after a meal. Um, they're quite happy to sort of like mid height, mid place in the, uh, in the tub. Okay. Cool. And um, I guess, uh, oh, shit, I just, I was going to say, uh, you said 22 Celsius, that converts yeah. to 71 uh, Fahrenheit, just so people. <laughs> we don't, mm. So we everyone knows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've had we don't, we pe- don't trust you guys to Google, so we're going to do it for yeah, you. We're going <laughs> to do it for you. Yes, yes, yes. God. Uh, Dear, oh dear. Um, okay, Owen, you got anything before we? I mean, it's it's kind of like, have you have you ever thought of like? I know you're constantly tweaking. Is there anything that is kind of like you're itching to kind of mess with when it comes to the scrubs or the care or the cages? Like, is there something that's kind of been like, what if I do this right now? Uh, currently with your setups. Um, I've been thinking just because of like how much the how my hair is have used the elevated hides just to start supplying mm-hmm. all of them with um, the elevated hides. I mean, I'm happy with I'm I'm happy with most of the enclosures, but I mean, of course, I'd prefer to have them all in something all slightly larger. Like, I mean, the Oxabills in the mm-hmm. in sort of like six by two by three foot bibs. Um, I'd prefer to have sort of everything in there. So like at the minute, it's sort of generally anything that's under seven foot, 
seven to eight foot is in a four by two by three foot. Okay. And then anything over that is in a six by two by three, apart from the okay. two, uh, the two sarongs that are in an eight by two and a half by four foot uh, enclosure. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, size really just because from from the observations that I've had from just from breeding, um, whenever the the females in the sort of six by two by three or smaller, the four by two by three foot vivs, uh, want to build follicles, they all soak in the water bowl. Like they've all soaked in the water bowl just to try and get as cool as they can. Uh, and the one thing that I noticed was the sarong female that's in this like eight by two and a half by four foot enclosure that has, the hot spot is up at sort of like uh, 87, 88 Fahrenheit. Um, and then, uh, what I've just off the top of my head, uh, I think the cool end gets to about 68 Fahrenheit, which is, I think, about 20, 20 degrees Celsius. And okay. I noticed that, and, yep. and at night it gets a little bit cooler. Um, and just giving them that range, she didn't soak at all when she was building follicles. She sat on the shelf at the cool end, uh, and that's where she stayed. So I think just being able to give them that bit extra space so that they don't have to go and soak in the water bowl when they're building follicles and they do have that that range where they can access what temperatures they want without having to necessarily soak uh, when they're developing follicles that's I suppose the biggest thing that uh, I want to change um, is just yeah going for slightly larger enclosures for for all of the animals I suppose mm-hmm I'm curious with your experience with using these larger enclosures, you have a lot of perching and everything. I mean, your observations, do you see them more up in the, on the branches or do you see them equally branched to ground or it, it's just a hit or miss? Is it depending on the animal too? Like are there some that will always be on the ground and there's some that you will never see touch the ground. So help them God. Like they're, <laughs> right. if they're on the ground, they're dying. Like, right. you know, that, um, in general, they they very rarely go on the on the, the on the actual floor of the enclosure. They usually stick to the shelves. So in all of them, I've got uh, two shelves on either side at different levels. One's about in the three foot bib. One's about six to eight inches off the ground on the cool side, and then it's about twenty four inches off the ground on the on the warmer area. Um, in general, the only time I see scrubs actually contacting the floor of the viv is at night and when they're cruising and when they're hunting, um, and then possibly during breeding when uh, the male is courting the female is uh, spurring her and that. That's the only time I would really see them on the ground. I don't have many. I I, I don't have any that. Uh, that will actually just like stick to the ground for any length of time on the actual floor of the viv. Huh. Uh, to the point that like I don't, apart from when it's a gravid female, I don't use hide boxes for the scrubs because I've just found that they don't use them. Like I right. can put them on the floor, but they won't use them. Um, they're definitely happier being perched. Uh, generally, like occasionally they will do the sort of like classical green tree python perch. Uh, mm -hmm. Generally, they sort of like to rest somewhere where there's a sort of like branch where a branch splits or two branches meet each other, a horizontal and a vertical one. Right. That seems to be the places where they prefer 
prefer to hang out. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of found, um, you know, I, I don't know if you caught it or not, but when we were in Australia, we were talking to Gavin, and he was saying about how these Darwin carpets pretty much spent the whole entire time he was, you know, tracking them um, just in the trees. They never came to the ground at all, except when they cooked the one, right, Owen? I mean, yeah, that was, I mean, <laughs> the one he said that he saw close to the ground, like two that he found that were close to the ground was one, the fruit bat had bitten through its head and they fell out of the um, tree and died together. And then the other one he said was the one that they were cooking underneath a, a, a tree for lunch when he rolled up trying to get some data off of it. So, yeah. You know. And I think the other thing that maybe people should know, too, about your setups, and correct me if I'm wrong, Lawrence, but you sort of have like a lot of um, uh, foliage to, to, to sort of like cover up on the branches. So maybe that's why you're also giving – maybe you don't have a hide box necessarily on the ground, but you sort of have like where they can kind of get cover, right? Uh, yeah, like they have areas where they can retreat to. I mean there's always like – the uh, the greenery, the, the like just artificial plants I use, they're brilliant. They're like a, like probably less than a dollar a piece shipped from China. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, it's like don't go don't go and buy Exoterra branded stuff like at like fifteen fifteen twenty dollars for one tiny little strand. Just go right. on to eBay. Uh, I think they basically use them for like wedding decorations. Um, is what they're sold huh. for. Oh really? Um, okay. <laughs> Yeah, like they're just they're just like big, big garlands of plants that they sell just to decorate like a wedding reception or something. Well, that's what all the pictures seem to show anyway. Sure. Uh, but yeah, they're like, uh, I make sure that when like I do the enclosures, it is like the the sh- uh, shelves are probably the most covered areas that have the most greenery over them, and then. As I've sort of learned more about the scrub's behavior, I've started adding like more greenery actually going over the branches and uh, just with the, the the difference that it can make uh, of just adding this little bit more cover and sort of extra perches and that is um, was really obvious to me with the uh, uh, the north of the Tanimba Island uh, female that I bred uh, the first year. So I tried to breed her I think the year after I got her, I let her settle down for a year. And she was already proven, the pair was proven when I got them. Right. And she always drop fed in the enclosure. She'd only ever drop feed. She was very shy. And actually she was one of, she was one of the only scrubs that I've had that actually did use a hide when it was placed on the floor. She was an incredibly shy animal. And I tried the first year, I got um, multiple copulations, but nothing came of it. And so I just thought, right, well, she's obviously a bit more nervous and shy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Upgrade the Viv, um, add more horizontal perches, more vertical perches, and just put a whole load more greenery in there. And the next year, and that was sort of three months before I introduced the male, or four months before I introduced the male, and... Within a week of doing that, she started strike feeding, uh, okay. just giving her that extra cover. She started strike feeding, and then that year they bred. Um, she was obviously more settled, more comfortable. Um, so, like, it's in, it, it is incredible how much difference, like, just a couple of pieces of plastic and silk plant can make to how comfortable a certain animal feels. 
and that's what really led me on to sort of when I was doing the Tracy A enclosures was just to go super heavy with decking them out, decking them out with uh, greenery to the point that, like, I almost can't see them if they're, mm. if they're in if they're on a perch. It's generally well underneath uh, greenery. There's not many of them that will actually sit out on a perch in the open, but they do, uh, the adults especially, um, they do like to use the top of the elevated hides uh, to sit on during the day. Um, they, and at night they're generally cruising or sort of in an ambush position, hanging down from sort of part of their body in the actual elevated hide itself, and then just the sort of the neck and the head hanging down and sort of looking at the ground. Interesting. So they can be kind of high and in a perch and what would be normally on display, but also be hidden from sight because of the foliage and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Cool. Have you messed around with UV at all with, uh, with your scrubs? Uh, I keep everything, uh, to be honest, I keep everything with UV. Um, all the snakes from uh, the Royal Python that I first got, uh, the Madagascan ground boas, um, the Boiga, the Cyania, and the Dendrophila melanota, the mangrove snakes, everything everything that I keep has has UV uh, basking, just like the 2.0 PCB mm. tube that you can get. Mm -hmm. sort of within 12 inches of the perch, usually. Any observations as far as them utilizing that? I mean, do they go in there at a certain, you know, like you'll hear some Boland's Python keepers talk about how they'll bask in that UV. Um, do you, do, have you observed anything like that? Um, it's hard really to say because, I mean, I, I haven't kept them without it, so I don't know what the behavior is when you don't keep them with UV. No. I mean, some of them do perch up. Um, close to the UVB sometimes, uh, even when the the basking bulb is on. So even though the UVB tubes do emit some heat, um, they even if given the option, they won't bask underneath like a basking bulb. They will stick nearer to the UV. So that's the only thing I can really add to that. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. Um, I wanted to... Uh... I, I don't know how to ask this question per se, but like I, I, when we're talking about being a s student in the serpent and stuff, I want to try to uh, portray a picture to keepers out there that may be working with scrubs and having difficulty with them. Like, what were the observations that led you to introduce the hide per se? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like with the tannin bar, like, what did you see in that female that made you think that? That, that that was going to be your approach? Uh, I suppose compared to the other scrubs I'd had, uh, which when you walk in the room, even though they may not move, some of them will move like to the front of the viv or they'll like, start pressing up against the glass because they think they're going to get fed, um, right. is she would flee. She acted more like the um, adult team or pythons uh, mm -hmm. that I had initially. Um, that as soon as you walked in the room, if their head was poking out of the hide, they'd just pull it back in straight away. Um, and I suppose it, it's, it's hard to explain. It's a sort of, if, yeah. if an animal, it looks, if an animal sort of like looks stressed, you can see the difference in an animal that is 
comfortable in its environment and one that isn't. They're either like pressed right back up against like the back wall or in the darkest place they can be. Mm. Um, like they might not even use a hide. They might just wedge themselves between uh, the hide and the back of the enclosure. Right. Um, it's just this sort of this certain look that 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 they have when they're they're not feeling comfortable like scrubs like most of the scrubs i have um they'll either come out sort of hunting you or if you go in the viv like they'll they'll move their head around and they'll watch you and see what you do they won't necessarily strike at you uh -huh. um they'll just sort of watch what you do but with her she'd she'd flee she'd turn and run she'd either go straight back to the hide or she'd be going moving very quickly just sort of going straight up the back corner of the viv and like going along the little bits of fake greenery where the the greenery is poked uh through the holes in the back or the side of the enclosure she just it was an it was an immediate flea response rather than a fight or sort of like i'll have okay. a look and see if this is something that i can either eat or something that i need to defend myself hers was just i want to get away from whatever the hell Mm -hmm. this is yeah right right okay yeah I, yeah it's 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 difficult to put into words but i know what you're talking about it's like you you look at a, like how do you teach that to somebody it's just like you have to almost like you have to observe it but you know it's just spent from time watching your snakes you know and, and and seeing where they're at at certain points of the day or like you know you just start to see these things that are just like oh wait that's odd <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, yeah. Like it, it also, it is, sorry. Yeah, continue. Sorry. I, I mean, it's like it's like it's also one of the things of that as you observe it, it's like, you know, Lawrence had other scrubs to look at and be like, well, they're all doing this and she's doing this. So right. something's not right. And that's where it comes to. It's like if he only had that one animal, that's where I think a lot of these um uh, bad raps for these animals come from where it's like I have had one scrub and it freaked out every time I touched it. Well, yeah, you only had one and didn't realize that this thing probably needed more of this, this, and this. Cause if you had others, you'd realize that all the other ones didn't really care too much. So, right. um, that helps too, is having multiple things to see. Sure. Yeah, sure. definitely. I, I definitely agree with that. Like, I mean, it was a steep learning curve. I mean, going mm -hmm. from what one scrub to, whatever uh -oh. it was 10 or 20 in sort of like two years or something mm -hmm. it's i was really thrown in at the deep end and it was a steep learning curve but yeah if you if you have one animal and you're basing sort of like your entire um understanding of the species off just one animal then you're not going to have the full picture Right. I mean, I can go into probably 90% of the scrub enclosures and I can do spot cleaning. I can change the water bowl without any of them striking at me just because I've got to, I've, I've got to know each animal and I know like when I can go in and do something. I know that if, as soon as I touch the glass, they're sort of like coming straight down from the perch. That's not the best time to, to go in. And the whole thing with the big enclosures was apart from looking nice and sort of giving the animals the the sort of the option to choose whatever little or mm -hmm. as many different sort of like little microclimates as they can was it simply makes cleaning uh much less stressful um you don't have to remove the animals to take to take paper out or whatever 
Um, I have the space to sort of like clean and do what I need to if I need to change a bowl, but the majority of the time I can do that with the animal still in the enclosure, which means less stress for the animal of having to be hauled out and put into a holding tub just to do sort of like a two-minute two job. Right, right. Yeah, I, I mean, it, would you agree that, like, I think that stress is probably the biggest thing when it comes to keeping scrubs healthy? I mean, that's mm -hmm. been my experience. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I, I think that's, pro that's the main thing is just trying to keep the animals as low stress as possible. And, yeah, I mean, I used to pull the scrubs out just for handling, just like when I was getting into the hobby, I enjoyed that sort of the handling aspect. And then as I sort of changed my direction to wanting to breed more, um, I just realized that pulling them out for handling while it was enjoyable and sure you got like a great photo opportunity with a 10 or 12 foot bar neck like wrapped around you um, and like yeah it was it was a great photo opportunity when you're getting more into breeding side you sort of realize I just need to keep the stress as low as possible um, mm -hmm. I mean I still will occasionally just like take an animal out just to sort of like get a gauge of condition especially for females is just like see how they're doing see how they're progressing like females that have laid a clutch just see how they're recovering and how their sort of body tone feels um but in general i'll sort of coincide that with either needing to do like a full deep clean of the cage or like rearrange some things or like update a little thing put more branches in or something it won't just be haul them out for the sake of handling them um, or getting a picture. I try to sort of like keep, if, if I'm going to take them out, that's when I'll handle them and get a good picture of them or something. Apart from that, it's just leave them alone. And that seems to be working for me. So it is, it stresses definitely the, the biggest factor, I think, with just getting scrubs to one, survive, and just two, to breed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is your, <clears throat> have you uh, adjusted anything as far as feeding since, you know, the, the last time we spoke? I mean, are you, are you doing like cycle feeding for these now that you're breeding them more? Are you doing more of a, um, I don't yeah, know. What's your the, approach? Do you have to increase the food because now you have females that are actually having egg production? Uh, and so, like, initially when, when, I, I, when I first spoke to you, like, the first time I came on, I think that was, it was just after I got the, the first scrub clutch, the obstacles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and since then, I've sort of, um, I've moved away from the sort of the, the cooling method of breeding scrubs of, like, halt the feeding, drop the temperatures down a month later, keep them cool, warm them back up, start feeding uh, more regularly in spring and i suppose there wasn't really like i didn't just sort of like suddenly just change everything up it was a slow thing of okay in the the scrubs the second year that i was breeding and i got the uh the nortas uh to breed and uh the sarongs even though that they didn't like she didn't she laid 17 slugs and one mm -hmm. good egg um and i just realized like i i this way of doing it, I don't necessarily need to do. Um, so it was a gradual thing of uh, just changing things up slightly and sort of paying attention to, oh, did I feed this animal, this female that then like was receptive for a, to a male in a cohabiting environment? Um, like what did I do prior to that that sort of spurred 
him on to breed? Like, what was the trigger for him or for her to sort of, like, release the pheromones or become receptive for him to go, like, this is the time? Uh, because I'd never really get, like, locks out of... Uh, I won't say out of a season, because, I mean, I've had the, the sarongs, um, but that I don't... Actually, I probably can get the... Uh, the table I did up there, uh, the sarongs started um, breeding. In August, right? In yeah, August. in August. Yeah, that yeah. was it. Um, which was way outside of when I expected them to. Yeah. Um, and that was just with a cohabiting pair. And the only thing that I realized then was I'd started sort of going, right, well, November, December-ish is probably when like, they're probably going to start breeding, so I'll start increasing the uh, food intake for the female. Mm-hmm. And... Just from sort of the observations, uh, I mean, I never, I never feed regularly. I feed very, very um, sparsely when it comes to the adult scrubs. I have a general rule of thumb that for every year old something is, I leave a week's gap in between feeding. Mm-hmm. So most of my adult scrubs I'm feeding uh, six to maybe eight, like once every six to eight weeks. Um, right on a reasonably sized meal, meal, nothing that puts a huge bulge in them, but something that, like, it's definitely, it's definitely, they can easily take it, but it's not meaning that they're staying sort of, like, glued to the basking spot for sort of, like, (laughs) five days in a row just trying to digest this huge meal. Right. Um, So that's that's sort of been my basic way of doing it, because I don't think feeding every two or even three weeks is, is... one needed and two natural. Um, I just don't. I just don't see it. Um, not how like pythons have evolved to, to sort of to hunt and to eat and how they survive. I mean, you can have pythons go like whatever 18 months without losing uh, losing any weight. Um, so I've never been one to sort of feed regularly, especially with the adults. Um, and I find that it keeps them more active. Uh, definitely a more natural cycle. Like they're not staying to the basking bulb or the warm end for the entirety of the time between feeds. They do utilize more areas of the enclosure more. Uh, and then I just started sort of like thinking, well, coming into into like their breeding season, are the females maybe hunting more and like their food intake is increasing? Are they actively hunting rather than just sort of being opportunistic feeders of taking whatever sort of comes their way? Because mm-hmm. um, when you think about it, like other other species, um, or like I know, like it's sort of sideways thinking, but like certain mammals, like stock up on food before winter, mm-hmm. and then their babies are born in spring. They don't start eating more regularly in spring, and then the babies are born, which is sort of the this this sort of typical python thing is feeding small regular meals to get that uh, ovulation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was basically the main thing that I just changed was feeding heavily prior to uh, introducing the male. And for this year, actually, the uh, the biacs I hadn't the biacs that I bred I didn't prep them for breeding at all. In fact, the female was off food for about a month and a half uh, before I was cleaning one day in the room, and I just was thinking to myself like how much she's come along from when I first got her. And then I realized, well, hang on, wait, they've got to be five, six years old now. They're, they're well old enough to breed now. They aren't as big as the, the, the sort of some of the sizes I've heard of how big the biax can get to. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
I thought, well, this was like, I don't know, January the 20th or 21st. I think it was towards the end of January, I think. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, well, I'll just put the mail in and see what happens. And I put him in, and within an hour, they were copulating. So I was Mm. just like, oh. And that was with a female that had been off food for a month and a half prior to me putting the mail in. And then she refused food. And, in fact, all all the females this year uh, refused food as soon as the mail was introduced. It was like their sole focus was on breeding. Um, And even when I offered food, they just sort of, like, headbutt it or just, like, they come towards it and then immediately as soon as they touched it they just backed off and moved away mm-hmm. uh and that bike female from not eating for a month and a half and then how i, I can't remember offhand how long the uh, the whole process took from first copulation to to uh the deposition of the clutch i think it was about 90 days uh 90 93 right 93 yeah. days yeah. um yeah. so she didn't eat for roughly four and a half months and she laid six fully fertile eggs um so yeah that that was an eye-opener of just like you don't have to be feeding them frequently to get them to produce to produce eggs um and possibly i was talking to ari about this um in relation to uh the bolands is like maybe some of these animals need this sort of this this increase in feed and then this time where it's sort of like a stress of uh, like, oh crap, I'm not getting anything to eat. I'd better reproduce and pass on my genes because like scientifically, that's the goal of any living animal is just to to pass on their genes to make sure their genes go on to the next thing. So maybe right. these animals do need that sort of stress of Damn. I'm not getting fed. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting fed in order to actually uh, ovulate and and produce viable eggs. Well, that that's at least my thinking. That's um, brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> I never thought of it that way, but that makes total sense. Like, yeah, you know, like it's it. like, oh shit, I'm gonna die. Uh, I might die, so I better pass along my genes. You know, uh, damn. Good observation, man. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 funnily funnily enough, uh, and just like a thing of like of where of Keith's thing of like inspiration coming from crazy different places, I got that idea from uh, from orchids. Orchids need if you keep orchids warm throughout the year, uh, they won't flower. They need this cool period in order for them to actually produce flowers and produce seeds. So it just like sideways thinking, thinking outside the box of like what's generally accepted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and who knows? Maybe it'll maybe it'll lead somewhere somewhere good for some of the guys working with Bolands if uh, they sort of try try feeding less. I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I noticed like when I'm looking at your. Um the first thing that I noticed when I looked at your, um, you know, your breeding data is like just the difference in dates from year to year. Um, and I, I think you sort of commented on this, but like it just, it, it just really kind of hit a chord with me because I was thinking a while ago that maybe, I don't know, it just seems like sometimes when we're seeing scrub eggs, it's outside of what we normally see pythons breeding like they don't have a set season like they just kind of freaking happen <laughs> so yeah yeah and it's 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 almost like uh what's happening with uh you know green trees it's like they they 
and I don't know if that has to do with just because how close they are to the equator, there's sort of steady, you know, right. temperatures and there's not really a, you know, a dip in, in anything other than, I, I guess it's just wet and dry, uh, is basically the difference, but yeah, that's just, uh, that's, that's awesome stuff, man, man, that's just detailed information in this, in this thing though. Holy shit. Um, so if you're having trouble breeding your animals, threaten their lives, and then <laughs> maybe they will breed. Is that what we're getting at here? Yeah, that's this the is, secret. This is, this is like Eric telling me to go rip all the eyeballs out of my snakes <laughs> earlier. This is a very weird episode with a yeah, lot of yeah, very, yeah. very odd advice. It's outside so. of the box thinking. Yeah, like, you know Jesus. what I mean? You got to, you got to, whatever. Okay. Um, so... Uh, yeah, uh, let's see. Let, well, let's talk about the, the Beox that you have. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about that group that you're working with for, for just a side minute. Um, I mean, first off, the the only Beox that I've ever seen <laughs> that would be labeled as adult Beox were David Means had some. Uh, Eric, how big were those things? Oh, my God. They were they came from the Barkers, right? Right. And they right. were probably eight. 18, 15 to 18 feet. They were huge. Something like they were huge. And they like were fed very large rabbits. And he's like, oh, I take them outside and let them shit in my yard because I don't want to feel like cleaning them up. And it's like, <laughs> like, I remember he would just let them loose in his yard until they crapped. And then he'd bring them back inside. And it's like, they were massive animals. Um, so when, when, you know, we were told that you were kind of working with Beox, it was like, well, dear God, that's a lot of scrub. And Yours aren't really that big, correct? Correct. Um, okay. Well, so uh, just go, going back to what else I'd added since I last spoke to you is I actually added a pair of adult female biacs, um, and they're actually a lot bigger than the female that I bred this year. Um, oh. Now that female, that female was an interesting. It was an interesting story. So, like when I first got into scrubs uh for four and a bit years ago um and i was looking at sort of like trying to find where to source them and i and i found this importer site and i saw the picture of her uh-huh. and at the time i was sort of like there was a i was in college and there was a reptile shop in dublin and i went down there and like i bought i bought um the uh, the Royal and the Retic and the Madagascans from the shop. And I got to know the, the guy, Ben Lyons, who ran it. And he's really knowledgeable. He's been keeping for sort of 30 years or so. Um, and, yeah, I just sort of, like, went down. And in my spare time over summer, um, like, to any spare time I had, I sort of, like, go down, help out, learn as much as I could. Um, yeah. And I told him that I wanted to get into scrubs after seeing the uh, the the Austin Stevens uh, King Horneye episode, and I just like, oh, fell in love with scrub python. <laughs> and I was just like, I was just like, right, I I I I want that. There was something about like just the head shape and everything. And then of course find out that oh wait, you can't get Australian scrubs here, but you can get Indonesian ones. So I was like, yeah, okay, that'll that'll do. So started looking up like where I could get them from and and I saw the picture of this uh, female biac and I was just like damn that is just a that is a cool looking animal like almost solid black um didn't look too healthy in the in the pictures uh, uh-huh. that were on the guy like import skin just looking a bit dehydrated 
And fast forward, whatever it was, two, two, maybe three years or so, two and a half years. Um, and I was just like, thought, oh, I haven't looked at that site for a while. Um, and I was getting more into scrubs and sort of wanting to add a few more like select localities uh, to the collection. And I saw this picture of this animal was still there. So <laughs> this uh, this animal, this like really like superb looking dark, almost black uh, female was still there. So I messaged him and he was like, oh, yeah, like I've still got the pair. There's a male and female. Um, I'll only sell them as a pair. Uh, because I want someone to breed them. Um, and he said, like, they're the only ones I've gotten in in the past seven or eight years. Hmm. Um, so he said they have to go as a pair. And so I was like, I asked a couple of people about them. And then it was like, yeah, get them. So she was about, I don't know, three and a half, maybe four foot, maybe four and a half foot really slender really skinny and um the importer said like she only eats chicks oh. now when i when i got uh, when i got her back here i just like put a chick and like a rat in just to see would she take them and then she started just taking though taking a chick and then she'd take the rat after the chick mm-hmm. um, not scented or anything just left in afterwards she'd take it and now she basically, she'll eat anything that you put in there. Like, I like to vary feeding. Um, so, like, I've got a great supplier where I can get sort of, like, guinea pigs, hamsters, gerbils, multi-mammoths, uh, quail that are sort of anything from 100 grams to sort of, like, eight, 900 gram X-layer quail. Um, so, like, really being lucky to find someone who can sort of, like, source all of this this variety of food and yeah she'll take anything but uh yeah so she was about three and a half foot four foot when she came in and i didn't feed her heavily sort of like every three four weeks and she grew slowly to the point where she's now about eight foot but she still just looks she looks skinny no matter how much you you feed her she still looks almost underweight like Mm -hmm. she she just has this sort of very very slender build Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was only when I was like in the room in January and I was just sort of like, I was doing some cleaning and then I thought like, man, she's come on so much since, since I got her. And then I thought, hang on, wait a minute. I've had her for two years now. She was sitting at the importers for two and a half years. She was about two foot when she came in or so two, three foot when she came in. She, she should be old enough to breed and yeah tried it it was a small clutch but uh yeah the other two adult females that i got in they're about nine to ten foot now and i think they've been in captivity for about four three four years okay um but yeah like and and that's why i was so um why why breeding the biax was was just it was a random thing that i tried was because i'd seen the pictures of uh, david's sort of like monstrous biax and yeah. i thought man like this is gonna be like five years before she gets to that size if she ever reaches it like and yeah and it, it was just so i just sort of suddenly thought well she's old enough i might as well try and yeah like straight away the male lot saw three copulations i think it was and mm-hmm. uh then yeah she ovulated and by this time i'd sort of like i got more confident of seeing of like actually being able to say yes that's an ovulation 
because uh, at first it's very easy um, when you're, especially when you when you hadn't bred any other species before. Like I, I scrubs were the first snake that I'd ever bred. Um, right. And so learning the difference between follicle development and ovulation um, was difficult. And anybody who was like who I was talking to at the time were just like they. Man, I must have pissed them off so much by sending them pictures going like, is this, is this an ovulation? No, man, it's just follicles. Yeah. Okay. It's like a week, week or two later, is this an ovulation? No, still follicles. It's like, you'll, you'll know when it's an ovulation. And yeah, when you see an ovulation, it's just, it, it is uh, so much different than, than follicle building. This whole like stretched out look before in, in the area before the swelling and just looking like they've just had just swallowed a huge meal, like swelling to almost mm -hmm. twice the size they usually are. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so the other two biacs are bigger. Um, so hopefully in a year or two, let them settle for a year or so, uh, and hopefully then be able to produce some sort of half-related clutches, um, at least. So uh, or possibly with some of the ones I have, they'll be old enough in sort of three years' time, uh, mm -hmm. three, four years' time, they'll be old enough to breed. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it just goes to show how Lawrence is already ahead of us in this because Eric and I will still send pictures back and forth to each other of, is this an ovulation? <laughs> like, that still happens? Like, 10 years later, okay? You know, so, you know, you know what's crazy is that like, if, I see, if I see his snakes, I'm like, dude, that's, you know, like I can see it right away. Yeah. <laughs> but like my snakes, it's like, <laughs> mm, I don't know, man. I'm questioning it. It's and weird. I come over and I'm like, yes. It's like, yes. yes. Basically, Eric and I need to trade places for like a day <laughs> in our collections before we, otherwise we have no idea what's going on. Right. So, um, oh. but that's awesome. And you know what? It, it kind of brings to the point, and I, and I like to hammer this home and it mainly is from Australia because I know we were talking about the water pythons because we found two water pythons in Australia, one in Fog Dam that was of like a normal size water python yeah. and then the behemoth. And it's like, okay, in your mind, which one is clearly doing better? Well, the big guy is definitely eating more, but he's not going to breed. Like he's a huge giant animal. He doesn't give a crap about finding females. He's good. He doesn't have to worry about it. It's the other smaller one that I think might actually be the one that will breed. So, I mean, well, you know, the other thing that I learned just from that observation is that, that the idea that we have of the size of an animal sometimes we think in like definitive terms, like mm. for instance, like, you know, um, whether, you know, like coastal carpets don't get huge. Right. And we're basing it off of what we're working with in captivity. And I guess that works for people that are keeping that want to keep a coastal carpet, you know, but they're all uh, mixed blood. I mean, but, like, but know. when you look in Australia, you see some of them that are huge. I seen the one. I can't remember who it was, but some some Australian guy found it in his yard, and it was like bigger than that water python that we found. Well, yeah, so the, like, da and, the Darwin we found at the botanical gardens was bigger than some of my coastals. Like it's like yeah. you know, yeah. So like the, the the and especially with these scrubs. I mean, I don't know. What are your thoughts, Lawrence, when it comes to the localities of this stuff? Do you feel that like who you're getting them from and like the localities are are pretty 
you, you can trust it or is it, you know, or is it like one of those things like, uh, you know, like Meraki chondros, uh, they don't, they don't live in, in that part of Papua New Guinea. So, <laughs> you know, that's, uh, you know what I mean? Is it the port yeah. where they're coming from or, you know, what's your thoughts on that? Um, well, I suppose, I mean, a lot of, I mean, we rely on like just so heavily on whatever label the the importers uh, or the exporters are putting on it. Um, now I know that with the Biax they came from um, a very uh, reputable source. Um, mm-hmm. Like it's it's a guy over there. Um, he does a lot of work and he's actually interested in sort of like in uh, the ecology and sort of the conservation side of things. It isn't just all about money it seems um, okay so i mean for those but the, but yeah i mean locality localities of scrubs is just it's such a, a huge mess and i mean um i was planning on sort of like trying to work on um eventually like getting a project together i've been putting the groundwork in to uh sort of like catalog um all the museum specimens of uh, Amethystina from sort of like Papua New Guinea um, and oh, cool. West Papua as well. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, like lis- listening to uh, to Daniel Natush's episode uh, last week, I'm just like, oh, well, damn, he's, 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 he's basically got all of that done. Um, <laughs> but that has, that has like, and, and I think that's going to be great is to sort of like separate out the... Uh, whether it's like one species to the north of the central highlands, one species to the south, um, and uh, sort of like other, other Papua New Guinea species, uh, different species, and sort of like similar to Antaresia uh, macaloosa, like they occur on PNG and in West Papua. Uh, West Papua. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're still the same species. They're still like currently, they're still the same species as the Australian ones. So sure. like the... Uh, Australian scrubs in the Torres Strait, are they the same species as the ones on PNG, or are they the same species as the ones in Australia? And then you've got the the possible three different subspecies in Australia itself. Um, So basically, like, after hearing Daniel's episode, sort of going, well, maybe this is something I can, like, revisit sometime in the future, um, like, put money from breeding towards uh, doing some, like, research projects and that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's left the possibility open that I'm trying to work uh, with, and it's going to be a fairly long-term project, is trying to, and I'm going to sort of be doing it with a very close friend of mine in the in the States. Um, she's a really good keeper, sort of up-and-coming keeper, getting into scrubs and that. Uh, really, really good keeper, like willing to learn, really keen to learn, has a definite passion for the animals, but we're hoping to be able to either find an exporter to work with who will actually provide like gps localities or if we can go out nice collectors and collect the animals ourselves and then split them between us so we have a group of definite known like where these animal animals came from Mm -hmm. um but i mean there's such confusion now uh in the scrub world with um, localities and especially with the highlands um i, I hate that name i hate i hate the name <laughs> it's uh, dumb it's, yeah <laughs> it's, it's it's just it's it's being used as a blanket term um 
basically, as far as I can see, and in my opinion, just a blanket term for animals that may or may not have this certain trait when they're young, and then they may or may not keep that when they're older, and basically we don't know what the locality is, so we're just going to call it a highland. And some of the some of the stuff I've seen, man, is uh, it's uh, you have a bunch of neonates come in and they're labeled as this locality, and the the importer saying like, oh no, this is like I definitely know this. This is definitely that area. Um, and then the animals just grow to be phenotypically just so incredibly different. You can't like to me, it's difficult to say they're from the same locality. Um, but then even even then, uh, reading the Barker's Pythons of the World, uh, Volume 3, and if you look through the pictures in the book, and there's a picture that Daniel Natush took of a scrub near Tanamera, and it looks like the orange oxibals to the point where I'm just like, those orange oxibals aren't from Oxibil. Um I think that the sort of these... The, the very bright orange, the animals with the orange background come from further south than the dark animals that I bred the first time around. And mm -hmm. there was a picture from uh, Vladimir uh, Ovachenko was sent of a scrub caught uh, near Tamika. And that looks more like the sort of the dark oxbills that I bred uh, the first mm -hmm. time around. So trying to base it just off what we can see from like the very few pictures there are of scrubs that have either been caught near a certain place from a reputable source, um, I think that sort of the darker animals are definitely more into the foothills of the Central Highland range, the ones with sort of the dark brown to black color overall, but still have these like bright orange uh, lateral bands. Uh, and then as you go further south uh, towards Tanamera, that they, that, that they gradually lighten in color, so sort of like darker animals from higher elevations. Whether they reach as far as high up as the Bolands, I don't think so. I think that when you get into the sort of central highland range, that is sort of basically Bolands country. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not mm -hmm. sure if, if the darker sort of like Tamika type would, would be up to the same elevations. Um, but yeah, then you've got these highlands coming through that are almost like Morocco or Southern pattern um, that some of them do have orange laterals and then yes. some of them don't. And it's just like, well, the overall coloration and pattern uh, and it's, and like, yeah, as you said earlier, having like had like multiple animals of different localities is sort of lets you get an eye in and I mean some of the stuff that I've seen people post as a certain locality I'm just like that definitely isn't you they're relying on the on what the importer says and if the importer's just relying on what the collector said or the exporter said there's no way for certain anybody can say this scrub is from that area unless they went out to uh, and collected them themselves um, like right. it's so it, it, that that's sort of commonly accepted. So yeah, with the scrubs, it's it's very difficult just with the localities at the minute and um, just seeing the the whole range of different highlands that are coming in and just the the fact that it is just a generic term highlands like <laughs> that doesn't tell anything. 
right. what the hell does that mean? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you might as well just call them Southerns. You know. Yeah. This is from that. You know. <laughs> exactly. Whoa. You went there. Very, uh, well, it, I, I, I agree. I agree with Lawrence. Like I remember. So, oh, and you'll remember this back in the early forum days of MP when they would put up an Oscar. Os, oh God. I oh yeah, it's over. Oxable, no. No. They would put. It. Don't you dare cut this. I want to hear it. So. No, no, no. Yeah, I'll leave it in All there. Right, good. Oxable, when they, they would they would post up a picture of that, you would see yeah. exactly that, like really, really orange, orange bands, and like you know, I mean, they stood out from another scrub. You were like, and the that was babies was the holy almost, grail. Of and the babies sleep. were almost completely orange, like they were like a solid kind of color and then like you'd see the couple sheds and it would it would be something different because at one point i think all we had were jayapira and sarong and then like a few other little outliers that like there'd be like one sure, or two in the country and stuff yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'd be like right. oh like uh kofayu there'd be like one and everybody's like oh i hope it breeds to whatever um but the oxable was always the one you'd get pictures of of not in the u.s and they'd be gorgeous and then they kind of changed it up because at one point I think they called them orange scrubs. And then after that, I think then they start calling them Highlands. Well, that, I mean, just as of recently, like, I think, I think, well, I got mine from Dan right? and Dan more or less was calling them Highlands because I, I, I don't know if it was because he didn't know exactly where they were coming from, but I had two completely different looks, like what you're saying, Lawrence. I had a dark one, and I had mm-hmm. one with orange bands, and it was right. like, I don't even know if this is a good pair, because <laughs> what if they're just different localities, and I'm breeding them together? What if they turn out to be different species, and like, you know, then I'm making, uh, I'm just doing what was done with, you know, what what you see now with the green trees, where... You know, wow, dude, you just punching the green tree guys like episode after episode I, here. I know, but uh, like, I mean, like, well, you know, I, it already happened to us carpet guys where the same I, thing happened. It was like, you know, oh, it's a carpet python. We're just going to put still, them together. You know I'm what I mean? I'm still not going to be okay with the fact that there's like, uh, what, albino zebras are like pure? So it's like, yeah, I'm still not going to be okay with this. I don't, but, I, don't, um, I, don't I wouldn't go that far, but uh, well, I mean, <laughs> anyway, um, um it's just I, I get what you're saying, where it's like it, it was kind of like the mix. And I know locality stuff has always been hard. And also the fact that animals are extremely variable. But also like what you're saying is that for all you know, these are two different localities. Also, if you breed them together, the dark one to the orange one, knowing my luck, everything would come out dark. And I'm like, no, I wanted the orange ones. Like, <laughs> like that's yeah. that's how that would work for me. It's well, like, you know, I'd get all the fugly babies. Like the so, dark is like an incomplete dominant. Exactly. It's like, it, <laughs> it's like how one of my favorite scrubs I ever had was a normal patterned uh, tanabar. Because it yeah. just looked different. Because every other tanabar you saw was exanthic and patternless. And it's yeah. like... Finally, I found what it's what like the other one, and you find out that that's the weakest one. And no matter what you do, getting a normal patterned animal is going to be hard as shit. It's like, oh, yeah. so you know, it, it's like that. Um, it's just hard, dude. I, I, and the problem is that we all have to stay really, really fluid because shit will constantly change as science progresses, as, as people do the work, sure. and things will alter, and you know. If you're not, well, if you're going to be rigid, 
and be one of the the herper flat earthers, um, it, it's just, you're not going to survive. You know. Oh, that's a good one. Thank you. you I'll, you I'll put that witty on my son shirt. of a bitch. I know, right? I have. I, you missed you, you. You let me go away for one well, week. I missed you. So I'm. Gonna, <laughs> suck it, Riley. Uh, you know, like you know, it's. Uh, uh, but it's just one of those things where it's like you do have those people at reptile shows where like they've always been Morelia for the longest time, and that's how I was born, and that's why I'm always going to call them as Morelia. It's like yeah, okay, but they're not, and we have scientific scientific proof now that they're not. It's like, but some people will be just blatant about it. Well, then you had the weird one, Lawrence. Did you happen to see that video that Dan posted up? And it was, uh, I think it was an Aru. Um, but it looked just oh. like a Halmahera. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, like I, I, I never try. I, I, I always try and like not to, not to drop names and not not to stir the pot or anything. Now, um, just try and keep sort of like drama. Smart man. To to <laughs> right. Yeah. The ship. Yep. Me too. Um, <laughs> but I was I was I was sent that video a few times by a few different people, going like, "Have you seen this?" And I'm just like. And just like right, I'll I'll watch it, and I watched it, and sort of like go in, and Dan says like, so like they're from Dobo Island, which is uh, I think I looked it up. It's uh, only like 20, 10, 20k off the coast of sort of like the other large sort of uh, island in that group. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And for Dan to say that for though for that animal to be from that area and like saying that the that it's definitely from that area like the his his uh, exporter said like it, it's definitely being collected there i i think it's a bit naive um scientifically and like yeah animals can be varied but most of the pictures that you see of people that people have like of scrubs on the arrow islands have that have that look it's it's that it the the dark brown with the sort of lighter gold orangey sort of diamonds on it sort of more regular than the than the oxibils um mm-hmm. and just sort of biogeographically speaking to me it doesn't make any sense for animals that are from an island from islands that close to each other would be so much different in appearance um, and be more looking and would look more like the Halmaheras and like you can't even I was uh, talking to uh, Nick about this and like he said like even the currents going down that way it's whatever it is from Halmahera to Dobo is like I don't know 2300 miles or something I think he said mm-hmm. um, it's just like the currents don't flow that way from the Moluccas down to the Sahul shell um, to me and uh, and I mean, I was just sort of thinking, like, surely just like take a couple of pictures of the of the head scalation. Um, mm-hmm. Dan's had Aru Island before, um, so like it should be sort of just like a pretty easy thing. Like that from having that group of Tracier, you can definitely tell that like the head scalation is different. Um, and yeah, I I personally think they're just Tracier that were that were sent over just with sort of like whatever label what was he looking for oh he asked for dobo island well yeah okay let's say they're from dobo mm-hmm. um that's my opinion of it i i personally don't see how 
those animals would look so much like the Tracier mm-hmm. um, compared compared to the other Aru to, compared to the other Aru Islands. I I, I don't see it personally, mm-hmm. um, and sure. I think that's that. It, and I think that that's where like sort of like Dan saying no, they're definitely this. It's like unless you went out and you collected those two animals yourself and you put them in the bag back you can't say that for sure like no matter who your contact is or who the farm is or who the exporter is unless you are either paying a collector or like uh, the barkers did when they separated out uh classolepsis tracia norta and amethystina mm-hmm. um and they worked with um uh, i can i can never pronounce his name properly cameron Tepeladen. Oh, Cameron. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. From Bushmaster. And they worked with him and he went out and collected them for them. Um, You can't say like you have someone reliable who will go out there and collect them and has the contacts to go out and collect them. You can't say for definite where these animals came from. And that's why um, I'd like to try and like push forward this project with my friend of working with someone like, um, like Kamara and, and, and going, have someone go out there, collect the animals for us, or even if possible, like go out there themselves. Because I mean, I'd love to study, I'd love to see scrubs in the wild. I'd love to just like sit there, study the ecology, basically do what Ari is doing for the Bolans, but mm-hmm. try and do with the scrubs to study their ecology, their life cycle, like how they live, where do the offspring hang out, uh, where do the females nest, do they spend most of the time in? In the trees, are they on the ground? Like, what do they eat? What's the prey abundance like in those areas? Like, get temperature readings. I'd, I'd love to do a project like that, but failing that, just sort of like either having someone reliable to go out and collect them for us, um, or go out there and collect them with us, so we can say for definite this is where this animal came from, and get a good sample size of sort of each area. So we can sort of say this is what an animal from that area generally looks like. Mm-hmm. And even then say like, well, okay, these animals are from 10 miles apart or 20 miles apart and look how different they look. Like no one really knows like how much different and the animals, the scrubs there sort of like within a 20, 30, 40, 50 mile radius, how much they actually change. I mean, do all the Tanameras uh, have that orange, like I'll, I'll call them orange oxibil appearance. Um, mm-hmm. We don't, re- we don't really know. Um, and just, just with the point of um, the, the sort of the orange oxibils, um, I'll carry on calling them that because it's easier. Sure. Um, <laughs> is the male that I bred to the female this year? So the female is orange. She stays like this orangey gold color. And the male is really weird. Like sometimes he can be, he can look like one of the dark Otsville types. And then other times he can look just as bright as the, as the female. So, I mean, at the point I hadn't, when I bred them, I hadn't seen the picture in the Barker's book and like, they generally look the same. They've got orange laterals. They've got the same sort of like cryptic diamondish patterns down them. Um, and that animal does look bright. But then occasionally, or some of the times, he'll appear very, very dark, and I don't know what the reason for that is. Um, and I chose to breed those together. And currently, as it stands with them still going through, the five offspring still going through their uh, color change, is four of them do seem to be 
predominantly lighter. One of them, in fact, sort of after two sheds, um, like you could see the orange glow to it. You could see how bright it was. Right. And then one of them is just, I, I think it's the one I sent you, the picture of the difference between the two. Yes. Um, Mm-hmm. is that one that is significantly darker it has a lot more uh dark scales around the sort of the the uh cream colored um pattern on it it has a lot darker scales around those patterns and then just this sort of like burnt orange color in between and it's nowhere near as bright as the other one so the variation even between between just like two animals that are predominantly the bright kind, but that one male that does flip-flop between being bright and dark mm-hmm. um, has produced sort of like four sort of like orange babies and then this one sort of dark or maybe slightly in between. Uh, and even then with like the first clutch that I bred, which were the two dark parents, is all of those babies were were turning out dark and um I don't know if it had been by the time that we we had the last show that um that um like I had so I had nine babies hatch out of that clutch, mm-hmm. um two were dead in the egg, mm-hmm. three of those babies had uh, neurological issues like the really bulbous heads, uh, one or two had like reasonably severe head wobble, like they just couldn't hold themselves straight. I mean baby snakes are always a bit wobbly, but this was something. This was a bit out of the norm. A little too um, much wobble, yeah. Yeah, um, and they passed fairly soon. They passed. They they all started feeding uh, reasonably well, apart from uh, the sort of like what would be the biggest one and the most normal looking one that had like perfectly like flat head, no bulbous forehead or whatever. Uh, that one didn't feed until sort of like. I think six months it went without food and by that time and like because it was my first clutch i was nervous about assist feeding um i hadn't had any experience assist feeding before so i was like watching videos and like talked to a couple of people and they were like well try all these different tricks so i like went through trying all different scenting things from like fresh mackerel to tuna to tin salmon like quail frogs legs everything and it didn't eat so like six months after it hatched i started to assist feeding it but in that time um the out of the the five others so this the six surviving ones the one that didn't eat and then the five others uh the five others were all coloring up they were all eating well and within three or four weeks of each other all developed the same symptoms and all died just like one after the other mm. dropped um and like got a post-mortem and a histopath done on each and every one of them um and it was the same salmonella species no um all of them and so i tested the two the two parents and the only one that came back with that salmonella species was the male Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I don't know if somehow the the like the male had passed this salmonella in the blood, and because of the developmental issues, because uh, I spoke to one of my friends is a really qualified exotic vets in uh, the UK, um, and he's been a great help to me. And he sort of said like from looking at all the sort of data that you sent me, there was something, and knowing that we had the other ones with like developmental issues that we put down to sort of a couple of mistakes in incubation 
um, to higher temperatures being one of them and possibly too low humidity at the start combined with the two high temperatures um, cause some sort of developmental thing where these babies couldn't fight off this infection and they all succumb to it. And mm. the one, and surprisingly, the one that didn't eat for six months or seven months until I started assist feeding it is the one that has survived and is still going well. Mm. Um, but but going to go, going back to my original point is that animal is quite is dark has like lovely cream pattern with a dark surrounding, but the the yellows the, the yellowy orange that has come up in between those is just phenomenal. Um, it's definitely not as dark as either of the parents. So even then, the variation is still, this animal has a lot more yellow in it than the parents did, but it is still different. And even the variation of pattern between the, that group of the six, when I watched them develop, and then this group of five, uh, there's a crazy just difference in the the, the pattern and how the pattern goes the one really dark one has a lot of sort of very like zigzag lines there's one that is has uh two lines sort of either side of the neck um for part for parts of it and then lines to, and then a sort of solid area of pattern down the side um and others are sort of more uniform like the parents were sort of like regular sort of groups of four scales which are lighter these little diamonds going down the dorsal Mm -hmm. So even just like the the variation within within the one clutch is is insane. Um, and being lucky enough to be one of the sort of few people who have seen like proper baby oxavils from parents that are known, mm -hmm. not just red neonates that have come in in a bag uh, right. with a label stuck on it. Um, mm -hmm. Seeing them change, it is it is very. Uh, you can see they are very different to the sort of to the other localities. Um, and yeah, like to me, the Oxvilles are the holy grail. I think they're the best looking of all the sort of amethystina localities. Yeah, I agree. It's like uh, I was going to ask that question. It's interesting that you brought that up because like with carpet pythons, you know, or, you know, maybe not so much with chondros. But when you're looking at Morelia, I usually think of, you know, a lot of variability um, just in one clutch. So mm -hmm. you're saying that you're seeing that, you know, somewhat with pattern, color, all that kind of thing, which is interesting. And, you know, another thing that we glossed over, and maybe I'm wrong in this, but didn't the Beox hatch out and they weren't red? Uh, yeah. yeah, that's correct. They they had a slight pinkish tinge to them, but, sure, but they, not... hatched out, they hatched out with adult coloration, basically. Right, um, right. Which huh. was, like, that, that, that blew my mind, like, when I saw the first head sticking out of the egg and I was, and like the head and the neck and I was just like why aren't you red you should, <laughs> like, you, you should be red like what, what what's going on here because at that time the only ones that had been the only sort of like Somalia that had been bred that were that had the adult coloration were the Tracier right um, right at Oklahoma Zoo and so Seeing this with the biax um, completely blew me away. I was I was like just like speechless um, when I first saw them coming out of the egg. Uh, and then yeah, they've developed uh, some of them are uh, more high contrast than the others. They seem now. I was always very hesitant about saying was the female melanistic. Um, was it just is, is she just like an odd one? Is there a certain area where they're darker? Um, right. 
but some having seen the sort of the so I got six um, six hatchlings out. Uh, one of them died a week or two after its first shed, and I just found it. It was like it was cruising on the perches, and then just stopped. It was just sort of like spread out on the perches. Um, the others, three of them, are now stripe feeding. Uh, regularly, they took a while to get started. I had to start them on live, which was a first for me. Um, I hadn't needed to use live before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then two of them, I'm still having to assist feed, which is uh, annoying. They have to <laughs> go all way down and then just going. Nope, I'm going to throw it back up now. Um, <laughs> Damn it! So, Great. Yeah, uh, but apart from that, like one of the there's two that are or one that is very sort of like low contrast definitely looks more like the male with just this sort of like uh alternating almost banding between this sort of light brown and then this sort of dark gold color mm-hmm. and then a couple of them uh banded between this light brown and this very dark almost almost black uh bands and even the head scales themselves are have areas uh, much darker, like towards the edges of the sort of the four big scales on the top of the head. Um, there's definitely a variation between the whole clutch. So whether that means that uh, I'm going to throw it out, hecked for melanistic, I don't know. Um, right. Maybe in future, like if they grow up, I might try, if I've got a pair, I haven't sexed them yet because I'm keeping them all. Um, I'm not selling those. Right. Um, too worried about what sexes they come out obviously if i sex them and they're all males then yeah i'll probably sell a few Mm -hmm. but uh maybe in future i might if i've got a pair um that both show this sort of like darker characteristic i might cross them and just see if cross them once and see if they throw out completely dark hatchlings like uh, enigma like the female right mm-hmm. uh, just just as sort of like an exercise see what happens i don't want to start going down het melanistic scrub more <laughs> <laughs> don't want to do I, that I, 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 why I not yeah come on now um basically just because i if, if i could find other biac animals that were that dark sure right um i'd go ahead but i don't want to be going in sort of like uh, reading siblings to siblings and siblings back to the parents and stuff i just i, I don't agree with that i don't mm-hmm. other people other people like everybody's different everybody has their own thing i don't want to do that but i think doing it once just to see what happens because then if i breed two siblings that show this dark characteristic and then they throw out um a completely black or a very dark animal like uh, the female, uh, uh-huh. and that's interesting. That that's something where I could say, well, okay, maybe this is melanism, um, like one of the few sort of melanistic scrubs that have been known about, um, and to sort of try to prove that out, uh, which would take a lot more work, I know, but uh, even just mm-hmm. once, just to say, well, okay, well, I crossed these two, and they've thrown out two or three dark animals out of the clutch so yeah there is something going on here i think um so yeah that that's basically my sort of like plan for the biac projects but apart from that it's just sort of hopefully getting those other two females breeding and getting some half related uh pairs out into the world and 
into good hands and to try and to try and establish them because they're just so hard to come by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're definitely cool. Like, I'm pretty sure this is the the one picture you sent me uh, um, of uh, of her. I think she was just about to lay. Maybe she was kind of coiled up. Um, it's almost like it has like you can definitely see in that snake for whatever reason stands out to me as you can see the resemblance to like a carpet with a longer head almost it's like wow you can see it's it's just really uh mm-hmm. like looking at evolution so to speak you know you're like wow man this is <laughs> i never really saw it like that this uh, all makes but, sense now yeah, yeah I, I yeah um i was curious when once the female ovulates where does she in your experience where is she going is she basking is she in in the hide is she you know on the like where is she spending uh, most of her time so like uh during like follicle development like uh, as general like they they basically stay as cool as they can for sort of two weeks and there'll be a noticeable thickening of the body right. um and then it'll the swelling will just subside completely and they'll look back to normal and a week and a half two weeks after that is generally when they ovulate and sort of after before they ovulate for sort of three or four days they'll stay glued to the heat um just glued to to the warmest part of the cage that they can they'll bask when given the opportunity but they'll definitely be staying a lot warmer um during the ovulation themselves generally i found them to be very uh very restless um it, it obviously it looks uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> right. It's mm-hmm. sort of like, it's sort of like us after Christmas dinner. Right. Uh, <laughs> you're just like you've eaten too much, and you're just lying there going, "Oh, I, I, like I, I want to move, but it's just uncomfortable." And sure. So they definitely they definitely cruise around sort of during the sort of 24, 36 hours um, during the ovulation, and then their behavior basically almost goes back to normal. Um, Huh. Sometimes they'll go cool. Sometimes they'll soak in the water bowl. Um, they'll generally start basking. Um, when they do bask, it isn't a tight coil anymore. Uh, it's very loose and sort of like, sort of like loosely draped over two branches or something, or over the one branch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, generally after the ovulation is when I'll put the nest box in and. Just for the placement of the nest box, I always try to, it, what seemed to work for me is putting it over, so for the uh, enclosures that are on the top of a bank of two, um, I always put the nest box sort of like underneath the, or above uh, the radiant heat panel, um, the, the heater underneath in the enclosure at the bottom. Okay. Uh, just because I found that, like, given given the opportunity, so like with the sarong when she bred, and maybe it was a factor she had um, mostly slugs instead of good eggs. But I had one nest box in which was uh, quite large, um, and it was on sort of like the cooler side. And she did use that, but then getting to the time after she'd shed of getting to the point where like day 34, 35, where she was should have been laying. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. She was just cruising around continually, um, just would not settle in one spot, didn't go back into the nest box. So I put a smaller nest box in there um, 
which is one observation that I've, I've seen when you put multiple nest boxes in, the female will generally go for the smallest nest box she can, where at least, where like three sides minimum uh, touching the edge of the nest box. Like she'll lay at the at the back of the nest away from the from the um, entrance hole uh, so that like the body is touching the back and then the sides of the nest. It seems to be this thing of she's got to be touching at mm-hmm. least sort of like three sides to feel secure to lay. And also where the sort of like uh, ambient temperature or the ground temperature, if you spot temp the inside of the, the, the floor of the nest box, is around 26 degrees Celsius, 25, 26 degrees Celsius, seems to be where they like to like to, to lay. Um, and then just like, so the behavior after ovulation is reasonably sort of like normal. There wouldn't be anything that I'd sort of say they're, they're basking a lot more. And in fact, I... At that point, I, I don't like them basking too much, and I think that was the prop, one problem with the uh, sarong was that the basking spot was either too hot or I had it left on for mm-hmm. longer than I should have. It is one aspect that I've changed a lot is instead of sort of allowing the basking to be for sort of six or seven hours a day, is it's now two or three hours a day that they have access to direct basking. Um, and just I'm hoping to eliminate this thing of... Uh, of sort of some of the animals potentially over-basking. Okay. Um, and then just in these sort of preceding uh, clutch deposition, you'll see the female, she'll just be like in the nest, uh, she'll come out occasionally to bask, uh, and then go back after maybe 30 minutes or an hour back into the nest. Um, and then the few days before she's ready to, to drop the clutches, she'll start just sort of writhing and pushing all of the uh, sphagnum moss um, they'll push it out to the side so that they're actually laying directly on the plastic. Um, okay. They push any sort of debris out until they almost find a, a hard, compacted surface to lay on. No, sh- wow. Uh, it's just wow. thing that I've noticed. It, it definitely seems to be like, uh, if you look at the pictures that I've taken where the scrubs have laid and I've just taken them out of the, out of the nest box, is there? it's always... Um, all the sphagnum moss is pushed to the side, and they've laid directly on on the plastic of the of the lid or the the bottom of the nest box. Wow! And what are you doing? Um, what's the time frame for hatching out the eggs? Um, um, so that's one thing that I've 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 experimented with after the after the first clutch. Um, I went with the sort of like uh, 88 to 89 Fahrenheit, um, mm-hmm. and I had those issues. And then with the Norta, which was the second clutch, I tried slightly cooler, and I think they hatched out in about. So the the first clutch hatched out. They started pipping in, on about day 68, 69, um, and then the Nortas I think were about day 74 and that was when i tried at a sort of constant temperature that was a couple of degrees fahrenheit cooler than 89 so i think that was about 86 87 um mm-hmm. and then with the sarong clutch because i just had the um i just and, and with that with the north clutch sorry um i'm just trying to sort of like think back through all the clutches and what the what the end result was. So with that clutch, um, I had six good eggs and three slugs in that first nautical clutch. And uh, 
four eggs hatched out perfectly fine, and then one egg contained a very small uh, neonate which pipped and sort of just died part way out, and then the other egg pipped and it actually had twins, um, which both of them died just sort of like they pushed out of the egg about halfway. But they were they were tiny, they were shoelace thin. I mean, they mm. were ridiculously small. Um, and so with the sarong clutch, then I tried doing a sort of larger temp variation between sort of the night and day. And that was after I'd done maternal incubation with the um, Powan carpets or Irian gyres or whatever you want to call them now. <laughs> right. Um, um, I, I did maternal incubation with them, and I was sure that I had the probe sort of like right in the nest, uh, right in the middle of the clutch of eggs. I had a... a temperature probe in there to a thermostat on the outside i'm not sure i'd fed it in to the center of the clutch and either i was slightly out because there was a sort of noticeable temperature difference between during the day and then at night now generally you'd say like the, the female twitching will keep it at a steady temperature so with the sarong clutch like 17 slugs and one good egg i thought well okay uh try this almost as an experiment like let's let's mm -hmm. try and find something out let's do something a bit different so i tried doing a sort of like uh incubation where there was a cooler period in the sort of like for a couple of hours in the evening and then ramp it back up slowly to the to the day um and that egg like didn't pit didn't hatch at all there was a partly formed uh neonate in there so I tried some, I, so I had a sort of like theory. I tried it, it was proved wrong. Mm. Uh, it was a shame, but but just with with the, having just one scrub egg, it was better than sort of risking a whole clutch trying to do something new. Um, <clears throat> so then this year, um, I decided to try a slightly cooler temperature for first two weeks and then raise it up. Um, to be where the temperature was where I incubated the Nauta clutch, so not quite as high as the first Oxford clutch. So I was aiming for around uh, 30 Celsius to 30.5 Celsius maximum, um, and then uh, it had dropped to about 29 and a half, so it was sort of a 29.5 C to 30.5 C um, throughout the incubation, and then at the start I did I think it was 28.5 to 29.5, mm -hmm. um, and generally they took a little bit. They took a little bit longer. Sort of all, all the details of uh, how long they took and which incubation temperatures, um, how long they took is up on the the table that I put up. Um, the one thing that I will notice is having incubated them at sort of like a steady 30.5. Um, they took about uh, 89 days, I think, to hatch for the obstacles this year. But okay. the biggest thing that I noticed yeah. is between doing them slightly cooler at the start and then slightly cooler overall, when I did it sort of in between uh, the high temperatures of 31, so I started off at uh, 29 uh, and a half and then raised it up to 30 and a half uh, steadily, is... The oxibles, when they hatched, had no egg egg sac left. Okay. They were much, much bigger. They were much stronger, much more feisty. 
than the Nautas and the Biax were, um, having done them slightly warmer than the Nauta and the Biax. Uh, they had no egg sac left, which all of the Biax and Nauta had a little bit of um, egg sac when they came out of the egg. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just I, I posted a picture a while back of the three of like one animal from each clutch mm-hmm. and the difference in size was just insane and even just looking at the condition of the animal the the oxibils were just so much chunkier i mean they were almost 18 inches long coming out of the egg um they were they were huge and just like full they were proper baby scrubs they were biting whereas the biax didn't really try to bite me uh, they're now getting more into that now. They're sort of like now they're feeding a bit more. <laughs> they're getting more into how scrubs should be. Okay. Uh, but yeah, the, the oxibils just like having incubated them at uh, 30.5 C um, with a slight drop, sort of a variation on the thermostat is the, the lowest I can go on the thermostat for the sort of the um, the changing delay is half a, half a degree Celsius. So between 30 and 30.5 C, they hatched out much stronger, uh, no egg sac absorbed. And interestingly enough, um, having spoken to Frederick uh, Essinger about the Bolands, is he said that he had the best success when he incubated at sort of 30.5 Celsius compared to 31 Celsius, where they were weaker, they had still had egg uh, sac attached, or when mm-hmm. he did it slightly cooler, the same thing, they were slightly weaker. So. That sweet, uh, that sort of sweet spot between 30 to 30.5 C seems to be the sort of the perfect temperature for the for the scrubs. It seems, uh, huh. so yeah, about sort of anywhere between. I've had them hatch anywhere between sort of like 69 for the first clutch days. I think the biax took the biax took a lot. Uh, took up to 106 days. I think they took okay. a long time last buy to come out but then i do put that down to the temp slight temperature difference um the yeah the oxibils were definitely the sort of the the biggest sort of healthiest looking babies out of out of that so it's taken three years but i i finally got to to a stage where i'm like right i think that's that's the dial to the temperature yeah right yeah i've done it instantly <clears throat> to get it um what works for me and it might work differently for other people um Sure. That's, I suppose, the biggest, the biggest lesson I've learned is do what works for you. What works for someone else may not necessarily work for you or your animals. Um, mm-hmm. So you do have to sort of go with your gut and go by feeling um, rather than just sort of like listening to. And it's why I never, whenever I do an article, it's never a, a guide to breeding successfully. It's just a documentation of this is what I did. This is what happened. Right. So take what you want from that. Like you can like pull pieces of information from that, pull pieces of information from other people, which is what I did. Mm-hmm. Talk to as many breeders and keepers as you can, and then sort of come up with with your your own plan of attack of how you want to try to breed these animals yourself. And that's why I never will never will do sort of like a definitive. This is how you breed this species because. There's, there's no one way. Right. Yeah. I say, I say a lot of times we're not baking a cake, so it's not, you know what I mean? It's, we're not making, uh, and even then 
things can change you know, with elevation and stuff, you know, uh, when you're, what, when you're doing K? anything. Yeah, that's, uh, yes. Well, that's what I'm saying. My point is, and that's why I love when all these different people share their, right. their, inf- their breeding information. And, you know, sometimes it feels like, uh, you know, uh, we're talking about the same thing and again and again, but you peel these little, little, little tidbits out of like observations that keepers and breeders have made. And like, as you're, it, I think it gives the listeners more of um, uh, a palette, if you will, to sort of when they observe something that's not necessarily right. Well, wait a minute. I read this article and it said that this is what, you know, he, this is what they did. And it's like, well, it's your parameters in your room are probably not the exact same as what's going on. I'm sure between the three of us, yeah. our rooms are all different, you know, um, and and how it functions and it's just getting that rhythm of the room uh that that really kind of helps you dial in those things so so what's uh, on uh what's on uh, 20 with this breeding season what's 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 your yeah, plan what you shooting for um i suppose i mean uh if the if the, I, I don't know whether i'll try the two female biacs just I've been working on a couple of other like projects, like renovating a house and stuff. So, I mean, I don't feel as prepared as I did last year coming into mm-hmm. breeding season. So, I mean, but for me, it's sort of like I've seen people sort of like getting locks and stuff around now, and I've had the sarongs have locked up. Um, I let them cohabit again because I was happy with how the female recovered um, mm-hmm. last year. Um, and just because, like, with renovating a house is sort of like planning a move, hopefully, sort of like within the next year or so, is sort of balancing between, well, do I try these animals again this year two times in a row, thinking if I move, will this reset everything? Like, will it put me back a year or two um, just with the move of the animals? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I suppose um, arrows, arrows are one that I would like to I would like to breed I've seen the male show some interest recently starting to uh, court the female but I haven't seen anything definite Uh, but then they're in a room that I go into maybe sort of like twice a day three times a day Mm -hmm. Um, so what happens during the day is anyone's guess Um, Timor's uh, high on my list of priorities I'd really Mm -hmm. like to try and breed those this year um, they've eluded me so far, whether that be because I've been sort of like so focused on, on scrubs. And it is one thing we're getting into a lot of different species as it can be a lot to try and sort of like balance everything, all the different yes. sort of like things. Um, I like trying to breed sort of like colubrids more um, as well. I've had success with the mangrove snakes and the green cat-eyed snakes this year. Um, and... Uh, the Gonyosoma Jansenai, um, the Jansen's rat snakes are ones that I'd really like to breed this year. That's cool. Hmm. I like that. Those are cool <laughs> ideas. I, I, I always like the idea of getting species you haven't bred to breed, also along with the ones that you like have consistently gotten to breed. So yeah, that's awesome. And best of luck with the team horse. Yeah, only I'll, I'll need it with them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. I suppose it is. 
it is it is one thing one thing that I do contribute like quite a lot of my of my success to is not anything in particular that I'm doing apart from just like giving the animals uh, the space in as least stressful environment as possible is uh, the just Irish weather. I mean, yeah. man, we, <laughs> have, we just have these constant changes in in uh, like pressure systems coming in. I mean, like uh, yesterday was like clear skies, sun, today overcast rain, and we just have that sort of consistently throughout the year of alternating. We have a couple of good weeks of weather in summer, and then that's about it. But that is what I think is sort of like is a, a reason for my success is just this sort of climate system that we have here. I mean, we're fairly high up in the in the hills, like not massive elevation, mm -hmm. um, but it's just sort of like with the supplemental heating is Ireland seems to have sort of like almost perfect python breeding weather. <laughs> it's just no real extremes for any long time, for any like significant time period. Like we'll get the occasional cold snap where we get a week of snow, uh, occasional hot time where like it's sort of like up to 28, 29. Um, that's the hottest it'll basically get here. But then the rest of the year, it's just this constant change between fair weather and then clouds and rain and storm. And I think that is that's played a big part in in the success of what I've what I've managed to do here and just like mm -hmm. being lucky to just get everything sort of right. I mean, I, I still don't know what I'm what I'm doing right with the scrubs. I mean, going into this year, I'm not gonna say, oh, I'll definitely breed the arrows. I, I'll definitely breed these because. Uh, I don't know. I, st I still, I'm still feeling my way with them um, to the point where I can say, well, this is definitely something that I did that led to, led to breeding. So yeah, and that that is why I just do a sort of a, a documentary thing of, this is what I did. This is the sort of the time scale that it happened in. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't particularly know what I'm doing. I won't say that I know exactly what to do to breed scrubs because uh, I don't. Right. Well, well, we don't. <laughs> you we know have a no lot idea. More than, yeah. You know a lot more than us. <laughs> the, the closest I got was a slug clutch of uh, tannin bar. bars. Yeah. 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 yeah so, so there you go. Well, don't cut yourself short, man. I mean, you really have a, a, an eye for detail um, from what I've seen. So I think part of your success, too, has to do with you paying attention to your animals and, you know, being... Uh, yeah, I mean, that would be my advice to sort of anybody trying to get into, into breeding scrubs or these sort of the more unusual python species is you really have to pay attention to the animals. Don't treat them like... Don't treat them like ball pythons where, like, you stick them in a tub, they'll breed no matter what. Um, like, they, you do need to put in that extra effort with them um, and, like, interacting with them regularly, taking them out for pictures on Instagram or whatever. <laughs> like, you're not going to get get the results that you hope you're going to get. It isn't an easy road. Um, right. I mean... There's been there's been so many keepers that have sort of gotten into scrubs, have either had one or two successes and then get out of them again, um, or they keep them for a couple of years and then get out of them because they haven't had success. Is it is a long road and it's 
it, it isn't always easy at times. I mean, I've had my fair share of fair share of losses. Um, some weird ones. I've had cancers, um, mm-hmm. like spine infections, stuff like that. So it isn't easy, um, and it, it 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 isn't an easy path to take. But you do need to put in. It's it is a significant amount of work, and it's it's easy for for like people to sort of like you see a post a picture of a great looking snake or whatever on Instagram or the thing and it's just a case of people see the animals um, but like especially in in social media nowadays everything's about the number of likes and followers and being a personality and stuff people don't necessarily realize the sort of the amount of work that it, it, it does take when you go into species like this um, it, it is it is a lot of work getting to know the animals and and just learning them uh, rather than sort of just treating them like any other python, stick them in a tub, they'll breed, like they'll do fine. And I'm not just saying stick them in a tub because tubs do have their place in the hobby, um, but when it comes to sort of like breeding scrubs and that, or adult scrubs, you really need mm. to sort of... <laughs> yeah, it's a, just, yeah. That's, a game that's a big tub. I mean, like... <laughs> To do that properly, well, that I is mean, a I, I, big I've, stuff. I've seen, I've, I've, I've seen, I've seen some, I've seen some things that, uh, yeah, I definitely don't agree with. Um, right. But it isn't my place to to go and tell that person, no, don't keep them like this. It's up to everybody how they want to keep their animals, how they sure. think they're doing well. Right. Um, it isn't my place to go and tell someone don't keep them like this all my advice would be is just from what i've learned is giving them the space and giving them the large enclosures seems to be seems to be the way to go it seems to be what what makes the difference between sort of getting one or maybe two clutches or getting sort of like sustained breeding um and so yeah um that'd be my advice is just like be prepared it's 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 a lot of work um, you, you, you have to put the time into getting to know the animals and putting the time into the and the money into the ex- enclosures and getting things set up right and even just giving the t- animals time to settle. I mean, you've had an animal for a couple of months, even if it's an adult, doesn't mean that that animal's going to breed for you and doesn't necessarily mean you should try and breed that animal. Mm-hmm. You should think about, like, you've got to be patient, give her... Give that female the time to settle into your routine, a new uh, being in a new place, and just getting used to everything. And I think that's that's the big key with scrubs is just patience, patience, and a lot of hard work. And that's that's what I think sometimes people don't see is the amount of time that I have spent sort of like trying to document every little thing for the breeding of taking pictures of different stages and that and and the work that has gone into actually designing the enclosures um which is why when ari asked me to come over to uh to alana to do a talk on um naturalistic enclosure design i jumped at the opportunity like it's a it's a huge honor to be asked to to go over and speak at an, an, at an event like that oh you're gonna be there oh yeah yep i'm oh I'm, sweet so will we <laughs> Well, we gotta we have to figure that out because some people might have to not be able to take off work. So you know, let's we gotta Isn't figure it the that weekend? out. 
I will be there. Get, oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will be there. I, I don't know if you my co-host no, no, will be I there in you. spirit You're not or... to go without me. <laughs> no. I, 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 yeah. That's awesome, man. That's very cool. I look forward to that. Um, that's cool stuff. I mean, man, what an... Uh, you don't know how happy I get when we get to talk about scrub pythons as far as, uh, you know, because we don't get to talk about it that often. And the amount of info that you shared tonight is just... It's just amazing, man. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. And, you know. And I could ramble. I could ramble on for another couple of hours. <laughs> That's all, man. We just have to get we you on get for another show. You. Yeah, you know. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we have to keep milking as many episodes as we can out of you people. So. Yeah. yeah. Deal. Where can uh, people well, ho- get? Hopefully. Go ahead. Hopefully, what? Well, hope, hope, hopefully, it won't be. Uh, Another another year and a half for me to to no. get. Yeah, that, that that's Eric's <laughs> fault. Yeah, you know we'll. You know what that. happened? You know what was weird is like I, I went through this stage where it was like super busy for me, and Rob was kind of booking shows and stuff, and and then all of a sudden I got back into the swing of it, and like I had all these people lined up, and I'm like, oh shit, I don't have anything open until December. Like holy shit, damn dude. <laughs> <laughs> and that was months ago. Yeah. So, <laughs> I did. So I, I I try to be prepared. It's it's always better to be, you know, ahead of the curve rather than, you know, it's it, oh shit, it's Monday night. Let's go get a let's go get a guest. <laughs> go but, find a guest. Yeah. Let's but go. man, you you are welcome anytime. Anytime. Oh yeah. You know, you just well, tell me you, when whenever you need it to, to whenever you need someone to fill in a show, just hit me up and yeah, I'm happy to I'm more than happy to come back on. It's always great being on here. Um, and a great chance to just share share as much information as I can, and that's sort of that's what I that's what I love about the hobby. There's a lot of things I don't like about it, but the one thing that that I like is being able to just share information about about this stuff and get that sort of information out there and try and help people who are new to new to the species and getting into it and just try and sort of get a successful captive breeding of scrubs going across across uh, the US and Europe just get the people in there who I give the people who want to put in the time and work just give them the information that they need and give them as much help as I can about it yeah um, just yeah awesome especially information. especially yeah. if you start going around and doing like scrub research like Ari I mean we we make him come on and tell us like you know how he nearly died in the jungle I mean you can join that club too um, if you want to do that for us, like your scrub research and then come in and tell us how you nearly died in the jungle. And that's awesome. So I don't, I don't know if I'll ever make it to Papua New Guinea, but the next time we go to the Cape York, man, if you want to come along and see some scrubs, you're more than happy to, uh, to, uh, cause it's freaking cool to see a scrub python in the and, wild, and, man. And Eric will watch, <laughs> Eric will watch Austin Stevens the entire time you're in Australia. I, I will. <laughs> he, do, he does. I mean, we watched the whole how to catch a perenny episode. That's right. You, I don't agree with half of that. And it's yeah. like, I'm going to shove my leg down here. That's Listen, no, <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. Is, sometimes. That is dumb. <laughs> find a wood chipper Um, it's like yeah all right well okay (laughs) so anyway definitely very cool so i was gonna say in closing um uh, if people wanted to get in touch with you what's the best way to uh to hit you up um well uh yeah on the um on the facebook page uh lot pythons um uh 
I, I, I've been a bit quiet recently, just on the whole uh, social media side of things, and I've been bad at getting back to people and that, but uh, just needed to get a couple of things straight and uh, get everything sort of like, get everything together here. It was a big upheaval with the Tracier, but yeah, on uh, Lark Pythons on Facebook or on um, on uh, the other uh, Facebook Facebook account, I have um, Lawrence Somalia Kensington. Um, okay. And yeah, anybody who wants to talk scrubs or anything else that I work with, I'm more than happy to to help out or give advice. Um, and I've been trying to to sort of like actually call people a lot more. So anybody wants to have a couple of hours chatting about scrubs or whatever, I'm always more always more than happy to uh, to do that. Cool, man. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again, man. And like I said, welcome anytime. <laughs> Absolutely no problem. Thanks right. for having me on, guys. Absolutely. Have a good one. We'll catch up with you soon, Lars. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that was a, that was a good one. Uh, I like that. Of course you do. You yeah. always like those kinds of episodes. You like yeah. any kind of episode with uh, uh, Scrub Talk, and I know that you're still somewhat obsessed with Scrubs, even though, uh, like, what are you at right now? Zero? No, I have my pair. I have my pair of Southerns. So my thought is with me so with zero. scrubs. What? No, because the southerns don't count. Yes, they do. What are you no, talking they don't. about? They're so tiny. I mean, no. Okay, you, southern you, scrubs. Is it tiny? like a? Is it a missile with teeth? Then it's not. Yeah, a scrub. it's like. Well, oh, excuse me, Mr. Southerns are too, Southerns, Southerns are too, Southerns are too, you know. I don't know relaxed. if my Southerns follow the rule that they you're don't. saying, yeah, man, that no, where yeah. they, yeah. that they are chill and, and mellow. I don't know. Oh, what did you do? Did you They didn't read song? that in the book. Hmm. What the hell? You got the only mad Southerns? No, mine are, I mean, mine are scrubs, man. They're, they're, they're calm for a little while. And then and death. all right, of a fun. sudden, <laughs> yeah, death. <laughs> uh, you got to know your, uh, your boundaries, I guess. You and I have had such <clears throat> luck with scrubs, though. I mean. Yeah, man, it's been a love-hate relationship with me. But my feeling is, is that, you know, I, the, my problem is this. And I think you fell into the same trap. And yeah. uh, I, I. I went out and I got a couple yep. and then I got a couple more and yep. a couple more yep. and a couple more yep. and a couple more and a couple more. And then, you know, it was just overwhelming. Right. Um, and what I've done this time is it's like, okay, I'm just going to work with this one here, this, this pair and, and get and raise them up. And then when I feel more confident in, you know, in getting them where they need to get to, then, you know, maybe down the line, I'm going to add more, you know, at some point. But uh, I, uh, I definitely agree with that because it's one of those things where it's like you get two or you get one and then you get a pair and then you try or you don't try and then you get another yeah. one. And it's just like, no. And I, I fell into the definite thing of like I had a pair, lost one, picked up another one to replace the one that I lost, added another one. And then it's like all of a sudden you now have like a a trio of Moluccans and all you really wanted was just a pair right? and stuff like that. And it, yeah, I just, yeah, and especially with the scrubs, you take what you can get, you know, yeah. it's like, cause you know, I, I always felt like, Oh shit, this may not happen again, you know? So I would jump on it and it's like, yeah. oh, I may not happen again. And you know, next thing you know, you have like, you're like, what happened? I have, I have too many animals and I'm really trying to focus on it and not 
get anything else. Like I haven't bought a snake in a very long time. Right. Um, and I'm trying not to do that. I'm trying to only purchase with snake money, which can be difficult towards yes. 3D season. We have to get on the other side of it. Um, yes, sure. I'll also need to get off my butt and try to sell snakes because that's the other part of it. But um, I don't even try at this point of the year. Shut man. Up. I got to be know, honest. Like, yeah, true. It's, it's, it's I what are you going to, when are you going to ship it? February? It's like, yeah, no, yeah, it's just, like, I, I don't, eh, I, don't even try. I get it. I got to do better at that. Cause I really suck at selling snakes. Well, and <laughs> you know, part of me is like, you know what? Next year they'll be bigger around springtime and I'll sell them then. And it's right. whatever. But dude, I was going through the pairs yesterday. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. Two, two days ago, I'm checking on everybody. And I see the female rough scale up on top on the uh, ledge. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, and they, they fucked up their hide box. So I'm like, oh, I'll put it back. I put it back, and the male rough scale just nailed me, like, in the hand, Ooh, really? on, the, on the knuckles. And I'm like, you How was it? it? How was it? Hurt? <laughs> oh, my God, it hurt. <laughs> <laughs> like, for a day, I'm, like, close to uh, my going like, ow. Black and blue? Well, yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Oh, so my like, God. It's still black and blue. Fucking fish hooks. I'm like, you betrayed me. Why? Uh, oh, man. Oh. So here's the question. Do I'm still, awake. Do you still love them? Of course. <laughs> okay. If, if anything, more now. <laughs> it's just like, uh, he's probably mad because I, I put blue nail polish on his back so I could tell him apart. Oh, so. yeah. He hated every moment he's, of that. He's like, you dick. <laughs> <laughs> Next time you're not paying attention, I'm yeah. going to throttle you. It's like, okay. See if I breed for you. Oh, you asshole. <laughs> oh, that's it's all right. cool. I, I thought the olives were locked up, and I'm like, oh. And then it's like the male is like spurring and twisting her midsection. I'm like, eh, eh you're no, <laughs> like further down, you idiot. So yeah, he'll, get, he'll get it, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe this will be <laughs> like, the year. He might be too stupid. So that's the most of my animals are just too damn stupid. So we'll see. I haven't even put them together yet. So I chucked everybody together just because I was bored. Um, And then I started tweaking the temperatures and I actually had a female jungle uh, bite and wrap the male jungle, which was Mm -hmm. exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would recommend uh, not pairing together immediately take the temperatures down so everybody kind of gets off the foods coming then pair. So, yeah, that's kind of what I've been doing. Like, yeah, bringing the temps down. Yeah, I have been too. I've been, I have a whole set schedule this year and temperatures and other stuff of that. I'm being very, very mean, uh, to my colubrids. Um, and I'm being very, very mean to the olives and the Timors, uh, as Mm. well. So, I mean, colubrids, dude, if I can get the blue beauties going, Nice. I'll be very happy with them uh, and uh, everything else. So we'll see. And also put all the Madagascar hogs uh, together. So we'll see. Not the Giants. They're not old enough. (laughs) Cool. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Um, Well. What's happening next week? It is the holiday show. It's the last show of the year. (laughs) (laughs) And then we're out. We get a nice little break. I was saying uh, maybe we should record the holiday show like can we record sometime it like this weekend? week? Well, can we record or like the weekend? Saturday? Sunday? Saturday night? If we can do it Saturday night. Sure. Can, yeah. Done. Then we can I, have like three weeks off. Thank you. Also, I'm like, <laughs> if we record it Saturday night, I can actually enjoy 
the holiday show and by enjoy you know what i mean yes so oh yeah uh, good point thank excellent. you excellent right. i don't want to get up at 6 a.m after drinking mm. for the holiday show please don't do this to me good point i'm not a young man anymore 23 year old though and when we start wait was i 23 probably uh, <laughs> tw- young 23 year old owen when we first started this could do that in a blink of an eye 33-year-old Owen cannot. Well, 45-year-old Eric definitely cannot. (laughs) That'll kill him. (laughs) Good God. Um, Dear Lord. So, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, all right. Let's do that. Um, So, yeah. But you won't, you, the listeners, sorry, you won't hear it. Well, maybe maybe we'll release it early. Maybe. No, no. No, They don't get it. No. They've been bitching. They bitched us for years. That they have to have it on Tuesday. Okay. Now we're going to record it, and you have to wait. Ah, <laughs> of course. How about that? <laughs> I have to. I have to let Jim know that he has to get his list finalized for the airing of grievances. So yes. Well, yeah. I'll let him know. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> tidy it up. Tidy it up. Yep. We got to get yep. it together. All right. I think I think uh, I don't know who else has some grievances, but we'll have to figure out. We'll have uh, to find everybody. <laughs> if you have a grievance, contact us. Time. It's like all right, you're all going to listen to the show. If you have a grievance that you want to air and need it to be recorded, please let us know. We'll find a way to get it there, and we'll find a make a way to get it put on air for the airing of grievances at the uh, get the Morelli Python Radio Festivus Festival. Yes. <laughs> Remember, I find tinsel distracting. So, yes. yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Yep. <laughs> and now we can insert all those little. Uh... Yeah. That's going to be great. Uh, excellent. Right. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, that'll be it. And uh, we come back um, oh. from our break. Um, I think. Wait, hold on. Let me get the. Uh... We come back on the 6th of January. Okay. And. Yeah. Um, we are talking with Terry Burwell, and we're going to yep. be talking diamond pythons and rough scale pythons. So, uh, should be cool. It's the beginning of what year? Year season nine. Yes, this will be season nine. We have one more, and then we hit double digits. Yes. <laughs> You've been stuck with me for ten years. I don't. I don't understand <laughs> why this is still a thing. So. We're, we're uh, we we deliver no, a quality product, Owen. Exactly, neither do you. Uh, it's 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 the magic. It's the magic. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was weird. I was saying this to uh, I think I was <laughs> I was talking to you and and uh, Riley and and I think I did it in both of our chats that we got going on. <laughs> right. But uh, um, I was saying about how I was so thrown off with um, when it was Riley because I'm used to you like. Like you make a certain noise or you do a certain thing where I know you're going to ask the question. <laughs> and when I, I had to edit some parts out because I kept saying to Riley, like, do you have a question, Riley? He's probably thinking, like, you freaking idiot. Stop asking me Training that. Training wheels. It's like, do you have a question, Riley? Yeah. I'm like, do oh, my God. Did. It feels like 2011 again. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, it's like, what was it? I forget what show you were on where it's like do, like they asked you, do you like doing shows without Owen? You were like, no, he's my security blanket. It's yes. like, that makes sense. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. But. Uh, oh, God. Yeah. It's funny because um, I think somebody posted on From the Ground Up. Uh, about like I like you guys. I don't care what the dudes at the Bradley Python Radio say. 
Really? And they, yeah, and they messaged me, and they're like, what have you been doing? I'm like, clearly you haven't been listening. Because <laughs> all we do is just trash talk. Like, we're uh, straight up trash talk. Every other podcast. You, <laughs> Reptile and Chill, we, we, we burn down GPP Keeper because it's uh, like, but they won't hear it because they're never online. It's every other lunar cycle they have a show. <laughs> so it's... Yeah, oh, I think man. They, I think they you. replied. I think they replied with the. Uh, um, Joe said he wasn't sure how long the lunar cycle is, but he would check with you because you must know. So, <laughs> and I'm oh, like, good, man. good, good job. I how see. did I miss this? Oh man, I don't know. I, just, I mean, I, I saw, uh, they were asking me if I was going to be at Hamburg, which was this uh, past weekend. So, uh, oh, I got you. And I, I was not. I was there for a moment, and then I was gone. So, okay. All right, the guest appearance in right. and out. Uh, okay. You have to you have to catch me when you can catch me. That's right. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> me showing up at Hamburg is almost like seeing Bigfoot at Hamburg. That's that's <laughs> like that's the that, equivalent. Yeah, that's the that's the you know having that dude rise up out of the stage at like a NFL <laughs> game. Where it's like holy crap! Like that that's Eric walking through Hamburg is like that. It's like know? if the Beatles reunited and you exactly. saw <laughs> you're like even oh my the, god I can't believe even it. the dead ones. So like yeah okay. Excellent. Yep. All right. Oh boy. Oh man. All right. So. I, I I hate to think that that uh, Joe is thinking we're trash talking him. But, I love uh, that. I, yeah. <laughs> I want him to. Oh, okay. I want him to have to listen and be like, are they? Are they really? Joe, if you've made it this far, congratulations. You know, I, here. No, I'm going to wait till the Aaron of grievances. I will wait till the Aaron of grievances for this for my fellow podcast people out there. You know, I, I'm going to hold off. As much as I want to say it right now, but I think and it would Eric sound would, much better Eric with a couple cocktails under my belt. What, do you not listen to us anymore? <laughs> Are you too good for us now? Yeah, I'm thinking so, Owen. I'm getting the feeling, I'm getting the feeling that, you know, they think we're I the old guys. Start your own you know? show, don't need NPR anymore. Yeah, I get it. Uh-huh. Okay. Everybody right. wants to be a podcast star. God, <laughs> This is what it looks like 10 years from now. This is what you become. Just remember, like Coca-Cola tried to make a new Coke and failed. (laughs) Uh, Pepsi tried to make a new Pepsi and failed. (laughs) I'm just saying, you know what I mean? Sometimes the original is the best. Uh, I'm going to start calling calling from the ground up Crystal Pepsi. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, new Formula Coke. I see you're here again. Yeah, no. Bill Cosby couldn't even sell that shit. No. That's a, that doesn't that doesn't go anywhere. I mean, yeah. let's, let's, let's leave Bill Cosby out of yes. everything from yes, now on. Yes. Yeah. True story. True story. Yeah. Jesus. All right. So, that's enough. Yeah, that's enough. Airing of grievances. Tune in. You will hear a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, Ray, uh, Ray is our website. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, info at MoreliaPythonRadio.com is uh, our email. Um, let's see. What do we got? Uh, well, I would definitely, uh, I'm going to throw this out there, uh, Project Black Python. That's Ari's uh, yep. your site. You know, go uh, support him and his endeavors over in uh, Papua New Guinea. Um, that's probably what I have slated for our week off is I'm going to try to figure out getting his... Um, shirt up on the teespring and as well as some other stuff up on there so yeah awesome all right and uh the international herpetological symposium uh which 
Lawrence, if you uh, enjoyed his uh, talk tonight, uh, he will be uh, talking there as well as Keith McPeak, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which uh, will be good, and uh, along with uh, a few other um, uh, people. And we will be doing a Bolin's Roundtable uh, from, from the place. So we'll have all those guys in one room, and we'll be, I'm going to oh, try God to see. Now I'm going to have to go, aren't I? Correct. Um, I'm going to try to see if we can somehow uh, videotape it and uh, see if we I, can. Put now, you mute. promised me we would never be a visual media. My mother always not said us. I had a face for radio. No, no, not us. Oh, Clear, thank God. Clearly okay, not, good. Point not the camera you. away. Got <laughs> yes, it. Yes, yes, yeah. Oh, you could hold the camera and then you won't have to be on it at all. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, but then I can't like yell because then I'm like right there. Uh, yeah, good point. Thank you. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Yes. So, it, but the IHS uh, is. Uh, it, I'm. I'm pretty uh, excited to be uh, involved with those guys, and uh, I think uh, the Bolin Symposium will be uh, will be pretty badass. Um, and uh, what else? Uh, EB. For, well, for me, EB Morel. Uh, wait a minute. Let me back up. It's for your one name. Second. It is. It is literally <laughs> your initials. Followed yes. by Morelia, yes. a word that you should pro you use quite a lot. Yes, so, I do. Yes, it should be right. ingrained in my brain. Try um, again. Whenever E-B- you're ready. E-B- Morelia. No, no, again. E.B. Morelia. Uh, there you go. You can find me on my website, Instagram, Facebook. I have been uh, really off of social media, to be honest, uh, a mm. lot as of late. I, I really have uh, taken a break from... Uh, from the bullshit that happens on there. So, <laughs> and it's so much better, man. I gotta I, admit. I jump in there every once in a while. I'm like, oh, cool reptile videos. And then it's like this episode of something, something. We're gonna get into the drama. I'm like, and gone. I'm like, yep. and back out. 100%. Like, that was I don't fun. know if it's just because I'm Leaving. old. <laughs> I don't got time. You know, I. it's like you get to a certain age and you're like, man, I probably, if I'm lucky, have another like uh, 20 years, maybe. You know, <laughs> I don't wanna spend any of the those time any of that time bullshitting with somebody about some well, bullshit I'm, topic about I'm not reptiles. Gonna, I'm not gonna get into it and I'm not gonna get bent out of shape about it because why why go absolutely bonkers? Because yeah. this is not my problem. And also it's like, listen, at one point I probably would have been involved with sure this thing or that thing or that argument or this thing or I'd weigh in on that or I'd post up pictures on this Facebook page and that bit, I don't care. You, yep. I, you want it. Here it is. This is what's for sale. I'm not going to go absolutely batshit crazy. Um, yeah, that's it. it yep. Everybody do their own thing. It, as long as you're not like setting an animal on fire, like I'm really not going to go too crazy. <laughs> like it's whatever. Yep. Agreed. Yep. So, um, so uh, yeah, so that's me, and that's all I got. Cool. For me, you can go to rogue-reptiles.com. I finally put the bread lie up for sale. I saw that. <laughs> well, it, I, I was, and then the website stopped working. So I will put more pictures up for sale. <laughs> but the bread lie are up right now. The uh, Het Stone Washes boys and girls are available, um, as well as the other 2019 Coastals, uh, Tiger Jags, and things like that. And a few 2018s, um, Poss Head Exanic Tigers uh, and Poss uh, Head Exanic Caramels, as well as some Caramel Jags and things like that. Uh, that's all it. I, that's all I have for babies that are currently for sale. Uh, if there is one that you are interested in and you want to try to ship it out 
before the holidays, I would say you are SOL um, because that ain't, <laughs> that ain't going to happen. Um, I, but if there's something you wanted to purchase and try to see if we can squeeze it out after the first of the year, that's fine. Note that I will not send the animals out if the weather is inclement. And obviously, as we are in Pennsylvania, the closer we get into January and February, we'll have more days where we have snow, cold weather, and things like that, kind of all the way through to March. That doesn't mean I can't ship out. It just means that your shipping windows are going to be few and far between. Mm-hmm. Um, so take that into into account. Also, I can deliver them to any shows in the tri-state that I'm going to. Um, that kind of limits you to Oaks, Hamburg, and that's about it. I really kind of won't make a trip to White Plains unless I have to. Same thing goes with Haverter Grace because they are kind of far away. But uh, that is an option. Basically, if you buy a pair, I might do it. So, um, <laughs> maybe. Uh, maybe. I'm not driving to New York for, for an $80 snake. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> so um, that's it for me. You can go to Facebook.com, look up Rogue Reptiles. Uh, you can also look, uh, give us a follow over on Instagram at Rogue underscore Reptiles over there. Uh, that's all we have for you all tonight. So we'll say thank you all for listening, and we'll catch everybody back here next week for some more Morality Python Radio. Good night.